Welcome everyone, Gorilla Monsoon here at ringside with my colleague Jesse the Body Ventura as the World Wrestling Federation presents the wrestling extravaganza of all time, Wrestlemania. Enjoy it folks, and right now, let's go up to our ring announcer, Howard Finkel. So, it's time for our main event. And my goodness, what a main event we have got here. Because if you were paying attention to the time still left on the video, you will know that we had about 40 minutes to go here. And you'll also know, probably, that the match itself doesn't even go for 15 of those. So we have a bit of an extravaganza here. Strap yourself in. I'm pretty certain this is where the show picked up from that. We start with Howard Finkel announcing the guest ring announcer. Uh, New York's number one, Billy Martin, former New York Yankees. <laughs> manager they absolutely love him he then this is billy martin now introduces the guest timekeeper liberace he comes out yes! with the rockets and the rockets and liberace perform the can can in the ring for two or three minutes then we get uh, billy martin introducing muhammad ali you can barely hear him as the fans are chanting ali so loud and he is going to be the special guest ring enforcer for the main event then the bagpipes uh, hit and out come Roddy Piper Paul Orndorff and Bob Orton Jr. behind a whole troop of bagpiping people I, I don't, there's a is a band of bagpipers with drums and flutes and all kinds of stuff uh, it's a flagon of bagpipers a flagon a flagon yeah, is, is the collective name not not a dudley of bagpipers no no no, no. <laughs> then we get real american dubbed over hogan and mr t's entrance which was originally eye of the tiger with jimmy snooker accompanying them so a whole bunch of stuff here it lasts about 10-15 minutes people coming down to the ring being introduced fans just going mad for lots of people to be honest any thoughts on this bit all the pre-match stuff liberace was having the time of his life that's the worst thing i've never seen a celebrity look so happy and that was nice to be fair because you get all these celebrities or they'll show you know they'll show how much shows or you know they'll show them in the crowd taking their kid and it's like they're clearly there just to take their child they don't want to be there but he genuinely looked happy i thought okay I'll, i'll go with that I don't want to continuously shit on the show because I've done a lot of it and we all know where I stand on it. But that's what all the celebrities were there for. That, that was the idea, was to make it seem like a big deal. Look at all these celebs we've got. They've come to our show. It's a big deal. They serve their purpose. We move on. Right, you won't move on. I ain't bloody moving on. I'm milking this. So we got Billy Martin with one of the, one of the great pops. I looked him up. He's a fucking hero in New York. An absolute hero, well, for Yankees fans. Liberace comes down, so this is approximately four months before he's uh, diagnosed HIV positive, and just under two years before he passes away from AIDS. So the energy that he is able to put into this performance is quite astonishing, given how rapidly his health would decline. To Matt's point, he is having the time of his fucking life, <laughs> and I was all in for it, because this reminded me and i know with me and tinky have got a few years on you this reminded me of old school saturday night television so that's what is and this reminded me of watching television with my nan on a saturday night she's got a lot of shout outs my nan on this pod <laughs> she's fucking amazing and this reminded me of that it's just so it's so quaint and so innocent and so not what wrestling is and what wrestling would become and i fucking loved it to tinky's point the fucking noise for muhammad ali so they're like you've got billy martin 
incredible pop. You've got Liberace, great pop. People are having the time of their fucking lives. And then Muhammad Ali comes out and people are fuck people are shitting themselves. Because <laughs> I would have been. Their voices must have been hoarse because they are going absolutely fucking nuts. And this is shortly after, I believe, Muhammad Ali is diagnosed with Parkinson's. So he's not in the best of health. Obviously, he was to live a long time after this. But he's clear that like you can tell in himself that he's not the Muhammad Ali of even a few years before when he was on Parkinson in the UK, which I was reading only got something like 17 and a half million viewers at the time. And then the bagpipes come out. And the biggest thing about this bagpipe thing is how impressive it is that they all fit down that tiny fucking walkway because it's tiny and there's a lot of people there and there's no space around the ring so they come out the crowd are fucking booing they're doing everything and they're, oh, it's lovely and then Hogan comes out and like Tiggy said the music's piped so I was like I need to find the original so I looked at the original on Daily Motion fuck me the noise is unreal so when the and then as that is kicking in, you get the famous shot that they wheel out every WrestleMania of Hogan and Mr. T walking and Hogan doing the little cross thing. He does it a couple of times just for good luck. And then when they walk out, the fucking noise, they must be about three yards outside of the entranceway where poor old Alfred Hayes, he's not there anymore. He's been fucking kicked to the curb. He don't fucking need him anymore. <laughs> The noise is somehow It's fucking incredible. And it's just like, this is, like I said at the start, this is a one-match card, and this is what everyone is there for. And it's fucking amazing. It's something to behold, the noise that is going on. Because as Tinker said, this goes on for about 10 minutes. And the crowd is just at fever pitch through the whole period. Fucking wonderful. Wonderful. I enjoyed this a lot. Again, this is not on the DVD from the Tag Classics, which I assume means it's not on the, D- uh, the VHS. I mean, this is when they kind of slim the VHS is down to less than two hours and this would have been seen as unnecessary I'm sure Matt would have made the same decision had he been involved in the editing of that VHS but for me it's cracking this stuff I remember a couple of weeks ago Matt you talking about Wrestlemania's being you know about match quality about where the best matches happen and I was like this is what Wrestlemania is this is what it's about like we can all try and convince ourselves of something else we can all tell ourselves that it's about the great matches that the best matches of all and all that stuff but it's just not true it's always been about this stuff this silly this nonsense basically this over-the-top nonsense but it's just very good this over-the-top nonsense I think old man's absolutely right. The the pop for all three of the celebrities coming out is sustained. It's loud. Imagine being in the. I I was thinking. Imagine being in this crowd. Just be like ah, just pop constantly like popping. I mean, it doesn't matter what it's for, does it? Like if you're in the crowd and you're popping over and over again, it does not matter what you're popping about. It could be anything. So I just thought that was. I just thought that was really cool. I just thought imagine being in the crowd. Then when the bagpipers come out, I was like, this isn't like it is now, where this would be recorded probably beforehand and they'd be miming it they haven't got the technology to do it they come out they're properly playing that live it's perfect they come out they've got like about 20 of them there's like 10 bagpipers and the drummers and the flautists i think is what you call someone who, who plays a flute i'm not i'm not certain but i think that's what they're called and yeah it's just it's just really good and the heat on them is great the excitement for hogan and mr t is is, is fantastic as well this is star-studded 
like not only have you got Liberace, Muhammad Ali, Mr. T and Billy Martin, but you've also got Jimmy Snooker at ringside. You've got Piper and Hogan, two of the big rest, biggest wrestlers of the time. Pat Patterson is a special guest referee. He would have been a big star in WWF three, four years before this time and had been a commentator as well on one of their kind of weekly shows. So he was a big kind of star within the, certainly the New York area at the time. It's just a really big full of people full of big stars and uh yeah i really so i really did enjoy the this stuff and i I said i hadn't seen it before because it's not on the previous version that i'd seen that had been edited all this stuff out i also think like this kind of encapsulates everything that wrestling can be now like you could do this now and yet wwe persist with it so they've got logan paul uh WrestleMania this year. So that will have, I think that will be, will have happened by the time this comes out. So I believe it's happening on the Saturday. So Matt will be front and center for that one. Fucking loving it. <laughs> and also, like, you, don't get me wrong, he was absolutely great, but you have Bad Bunny. And I know Tommy's a big fan, and he's like, this guy's a legit star. But he's not Liberace doing the fucking can can, is he? <laughs> I think that's really key, actually, old man, because I think this is how, this is not a reflection of wrestling so much as a reflection of society. There aren't mm. stars that everybody knows anymore. So you could say Bad Bunny is a massive star, and undoubtedly he is, I'm not questioning that. But my dad doesn't know who Bad Bunny is. I didn't know who Bad Bunny was before he was on the Royal Rumble last year. And Matt's shaking his head. He didn't know who he was. Now, I guarantee you, if we were in that crowd, my dad, if he was the same age as he is now, would know who Muhammad Ali was. I would know who he was. And, you know, a five-year-old would know who Muhammad Ali was. He was the one of the biggest stars in the world that everybody knew. And that's probably the same for Liberace as well. And so it's not the same. There aren't those, those people don't really exist anymore because we, there's, much more niche interests there's far more to watch there's far more different options you've got for your entertainment so it doesn't really exist anymore and i think that's where the change is not necessarily in wrestling but just in society as a whole the equivalent in the uk of like a Liberace would have been like brucey wouldn't it or bruce forsyth terry wogan <laughs> yeah well t- terry wogan in his bollocks bloody hell me come on <laughs> Welcome once more to the Random Wrestling Review, and today it's the final part of this year's trifecta of WrestleMania reviews, and what more appropriate way to end than by going back to the very start and WrestleMania 1, or just WrestleMania, as they knew it back then. Joining me today is old man Sam Carey. Who? Exactly. I had one more week of being the granddaddy of them all, and you fucked it. I did fuck yeah. So joining me today is the granddaddy of them all, Sam Carey. Hello, hello everyone. <laughs> and also we have Matt Roberts. How are you? Good today? evening, gentlemen. Good, good, good stuff. So WrestleMania won today, and we've already been told by Matt that he's in a horrific mood. I'm not going to go into why, because I'm sure we'll find out over the course of the show. But the fact of the matter is, he's in a horrific mood, so expect pretty much us just to load on Matt all the way through. I think that's pretty much what's going to happen today. Now, before we get into the meat of the episode, which uh, Old Man was just chanting about beating before we came on air, um, if you haven't done already, make sure you join us over on Twitter, which is the main source of the latest news, future episode topics and general nonsense from RWR Towers at RWR Pod UK is where you can follow us. 
So before we get to today's featured show, as always, a little topic for us to discuss. Today, of course, is the day, the day that this come out anyway, is the day that WrestleMania, the second night will happen. So it's, it's magic because Matt is not only joining us on the podcast, but he's also in Dallas right now watching WrestleMania 38 night two. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. So the topic I wanted to go for today is, is WrestleMania as special as it used to be? And will it continue to be special in the future so those are the two questions i'm posing today uh let's go with you old man to set us off yes and yes because there is something i know we've talked like in recent weeks like i definitely won't watch all of wrestlemania this year both nights not anytime soon anyway like after so like this is coming out on the sunday i won't have watched the saturday by the time sunday previous years i would have but there is still something about it and i know we've talked about how it like in my view shouldn't really be two nights it should be a nice one night thing and shorter but it's still wrestlemania isn't it it's just wonderfully marketed it's it should anyway it should be the end of feuds which i think they've massively got away from in recent years that should always be the end of feuds I mean, you could argue that obviously what we talked about WrestleMania 10 in recent weeks, the Brett and Owen thing, that wasn't the end of that feud. But there was this moment with Brett that me and Tinky basically cried over and had a lovely old time. Our Matt stared at us like we were fucking weirdos. But uh, it's still WrestleMania, is it? It's still special because it, it makes the Rumble special. I do think that since they've had, and they've had it for many years now, since they've had Elimination Chamber, it is somewhat dimmed the bright light that was the Royal Rumble. But it still leads us to WrestleMania and it still is April. It's the start of a new financial year. We've got everything going on, haven't we? Old man's joy uh, of WrestleMania coincides with the new tax year and great marketing. God, the romance yeah. of WrestleMania really is alive, isn't it? <laughs> but it's also, and I'm sure this was the aim. So I watch American football. So I'll watch the Super Bowl, which is what well, was previous to this season, always the first weekend of February, now the second weekend of February. And you've then got this follow period. Well, uh, I used to watch a fair bit of baseball. Obviously, it hasn't happened this year, but we will have just come out of two weeks ago or a week ago, come out of opening day and then opening weekend. And then you've got this little follow period just before the NBA playoffs properly get into swing. And it's just perfectly placed where there's kind of not really a lot going on. And this is also like from a British person's point of view. This is just before the business end of the football season as well. So it's before you get into like the end of, if it's your bag, the Premier League, but then you've got the playoffs for the Football League, you've got the Champions League, you've got the FA Cup final. It's just in this lovely little sweet spot, just where everything's kind of taking a little dip. And also, like when I was younger, when I used to watch it pretty much religiously, I'd also take a little break after WrestleMania. I'd give myself a little month month or so off of wrestling, probably because of what was going on in the football. Sorry, the soccer, the, the soccer, if you're listening in America. And uh, yeah, but uh, it's WrestleMania, isn't it? I think basically okay. what I've done is I've gone on a tangent <laughs> and it'll always be WrestleMania. And it's always going to hold a special place in my heart as well because we've been. Well, Twice. also, we, and when I say we, I mean you, me and Tom, sorry, Matt, are the same age as WrestleMania. Well, yeah. we're not, but the the year of the of WrestleMania, so the 38th WrestleMania, I'm 38. And so will old man and Tom be by that point. In fact, I don't know if Tom is quite 38. No, he's not. No, he's, uh, he's about three weeks younger. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> there's also that i have to correct you so traditionally the baseball season wouldn't have started by the time wrestlemania goes Ooh. goes off and this year it won't have started because they had the um they had a slight lockout earlier in, yeah. in winter which meant the season's going to start ever so slightly later but more more often than not now they start about the same time so they kind of bump mm. into each other a little bit Ooh, but um silly. probably not as important as it used to be matt well what do you think this could be a podcast in and of itself that question um if i'm honest because it doesn't even do it justice to answer it in like a minute or two because there is so much that can be said but is wrestlemania still special i I guess yeah i mean i I guess by the fact that i keep watching it every year it is probably partially the answer regardless of, of what the lineup tends to be if i'm gonna catch any wrestling show all year round it always happens to be wrestlemania so that kind of answers part of the question, but I, I don't know. I mean, the the fa- and I know we've talked about the two nights thing as well, but like, and I and I particularly, you know, I've spoke to a couple of people about it over the last couple of days, and it's just not something that I see being a good idea in the long run. Like even even now, like don't get me wrong, I'm going, I'm excited, I'm looking forward to it. it it's a holiday for me, can't wait, and no doubt I'm gonna have a great time. But it doesn't feel like a that big a deal. I mean, aside from say the uh, the the Brock and Roman match, which, you know, they've done all they can to make that seem as big a deal as possible. I mean, what is the the rest of the car, but matches that, as I've said, and as we've all said, you know, a number of times, have no business being on what's supposed to be the biggest card of the year. Yes, I'm looking at Pat McAfee versus Austin fucking Theory. That has absolutely no business being on this show. None. But it is. And it's it's be, I, oh, that that gets me on its own. <laughs> God, <laughs> uh, I, I just, just you wait till the, till the rest of the show. Let me, let me tell you today. But then another thing that pissed me off the other day was the the, the women's tag the women's tag title match. Who was it that was added? Wasn't it um, Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan? I'm sure they've just been randomly. It's this idea of just shoving everybody onto the card it's just such a bad and it dilutes the show and it makes it seem less important so i'd actually make the case that while yes in some ways it's special it's never been less special either and with the two night format continuing to go which i think it will i can see it getting less special as the years go by so i mean i guess it's it's special enough for you to travel halfway across the world still though so you know (laughs) in fairness there is there is a degree of special occasion (laughs) to it it's a difficult one to answer this i wonder whether or not partially i wonder partially whether our perspective is not colored by our age you get to a certain age and these things are less they are less exciting you know they aren't as big a deal and i feel that way about pretty much everything that is an annual event so the champions league final is not really that big a deal to me maybe it was one time the fa cup final isn't that much of a big deal to me at all but it probably was at one time and that goes the same for any number of different things that I might watch on an annual basis. And WrestleMania is just one of those things. Also, we've seen, we've spoken about it before, but we've seen a lot of stuff. So it does take a lot more to get, you know, excited about it. It'd be interesting to know what a 20-year-old or a 15-year-old is thinking about this WrestleMania. Because for them, it might be one of their, like the 20-year-old, for example, it might be the first chance they've had to actually go. Or the 15-year-old might be the first time they've had the chance to stay up and watch it live, for example. I don't know. So 
there's any number of things where they their perspective will be shaped differently to ours because we've seen so many and we've stayed up to see them and we've been to see them and all you know all other different factors as well but i do think that on the flip side that the two night thing does take away something i i'm not so sure that the quality or the level of the matches are the problem necessarily because i think that wrestlemania has always had a lot of matches that don't belong on the quote-unquote biggest show of the year especially if you go back to sort of when WrestleMania was being shaped into what it was back at like WrestleMania 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, especially 5, 6, and 7. There was loads of matches on those shows, like 12 matches a night on each one where they just did try to get everybody on the card. But in in the midst of all that, there were these really big showpiece attraction matches. So I don't know if it's really that. It's just for me, two nights lengthening that whole thing out just slightly overcooks it all. And by the time you get to the business end of the show on night two kind of like well I'm, I've, I've had enough <laughs> i'm done and that's kind of happened when it was five hours on one night that kind of happened as well because people were getting just got it, the main events of 33 34 and 35 has pretty much just silenced through them because people were like I've, I've seen everything there's not there's not much more i can you can get up for and i think that that's still the case even with two nights so it's it's a hard one but i i, I think one thing I think will be very interesting is when Vince is no longer in charge of WWE, when the presentation of the show starts to become up for debate, because right now there's any number of negatives you could level at Vince and there's any number of positives that he's done in the business that you could kind of credit him with. But when he goes or when he stops, you know, when he stops managing the company, whoever takes over then will have a viewpoint on where they want to take it. And it will be in some ways different. So I think when we get there, that will be the ultimate test of what WrestleMania is capable of being and what it will continue to be going forward. It's quite interesting to think that like in spite of the fact that I think you and Matt have just said that it's kind of not what it was. Imagine a time without it. Oh, or like where it yeah, where it isn't this big deal. So we talked about the Rumble previously and how that was always like well, they still call it it's like the start of the road to WrestleMania. And that was always where you'd have feuds coming out of it. And we said this when me, Tinky and Tommy reviewed the twenty twenty two. There was very little of that this year and i think to your point matt that's kind of why it feels a bit cobbled together right and also to tingy's point about the number of matches like on the wikipedia page at this moment in time so what are we on the 21st of march we're recording this there's 11 what was that? 11. 11. 11. <laughs> there's, there's a 11 matches, and it's going to go probably seven, eight hours. And you've got this card that we're going to talk about today, nine matches, and it's gone for two hours, 15. And you've got to say, is it too much or is it not enough? I've got to apologise to the listeners because a long time ago I said we would never interview any stars. But unfortunately today we have got Butch from the Bushwhackers on the show. <laughs> and he's here to help us review WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Let's nip that in the bud. Let's move on to today's show. WrestleMania 1, the first ever of the most legendary wrestling show, the most popular, the most mainstream known wrestling show in the world. Expectations. Matt, let's start with your expectations. <laughs> Try not to let Why them not? be too taken up by what you feel now, because it sounds like, you know, we're going to get some a torrent of abuse from Matt today. Yeah, I'm going to be dropping some straight facts tonight, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> right. Expectations for this show were, I knew, well, it being the first one, I thought, do you know what? 
I know how historical it was, how historically important it was. So surely, because it was that important, that must translate to it being that it must have been at least somewhat pretty good. At least that's what I thought. So my expectation was that because it was so important and it's such a pivotal moment, you know, in, you know, in wrestling history, that it had to have been good. And I thought, hmm, let's have a look and and see what's on there and then let's see what happens. And and there were some surprises. There definitely were some surprises on there. But yeah, like I said, I I was expecting it to be at least somewhat decent. Cool. Good. Well, and I'm sure your expectations were absolutely met. Old man. I I was trying to think when I last watched this, because I watched it a couple of times in that way that completists do. Mm. I've watched them all. all I'm glad you said that. Glad you said yeah, that. yeah, a couple of times. I reckon gotta be eight, nine, nine years. I reckon since I watched it from memory, it wasn't the best, but it is effectively it's a one match card. That's what it is. We all know it. So I was going, and I can remember, like I to Tinky's point about some of the early WrestleManias. I remember watching WrestleMania three and the fucking amount of matches. I was like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck's going on? And I think pretty much every match, apart from three of them, is about three minutes in length. And I was anticipating there being about 15 matches on this card. And I was like, ah, cool. At least it'll be like quick, rapid fire. Nothing's going to outstay its welcome. So I was actually quite looking forward to this. I'm surprised you were looking forward to Old Man because this has been in the schedule, right, since Christmas. And every time Old Man's looked at the schedule, he's going, oh, fucking hell, WrestleMania 1, fuck off, mate. What are you doing to us? Yeah. And now apparently he was looking forward to it. No, it was when I sat down to start. Right. So there's the picture of Hogan with his little belt on, little championship belt on, and Mr. T on the network. And I sat down to watch this yesterday. So Sunday evening, I sat down to watch it. And suddenly I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to this, actually. (laughs) And I think it's because I've been dreading it. I think suddenly I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's fuck. Come on, let's fucking have it. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) so I, (laughs) right. So I was, uh, I like you, old man, have watched it a couple of times, maybe three times. I'm not entirely sure. Again, as a completist, so perhaps wanting to watch every WrestleMania in order at one point. In fact, me and Tom, as we've sort of talked about before, did do every WWF pay-per-view from about from the start right through to a certain point. And this was obviously where you start, even though it's not wasn't technically a pay-per-view, which is an interesting one anyway. Um, but it's always the one you had on, on DVD. And when we started, we, there was no network. And I knew it wasn't going to be great. I knew that there was a limit to how good it was actually going to be. But I also was kind of prepared for it. So I, as listeners will know, I've spoken about before. I did my WWE Network Challenge where I tried to watch every match on the WWE Network in chronological order, starting all the way back in 1951, I think the first matches on the WWE Network, or at least it was at one point. Um, And so I've watched a lot of Madison Square Garden shows from before 1985, because there are a good 10, 15 of them on the WWE Network. And so I was quite prepared for what this show was going to be. And I was quite prepared for the level of quality, because in truth, with the exception of the uh, level of celebrity they've got on this show, this isn't very much different from their regular visit to Madison Square Garden that had happened for the previous 15 years prior to this. You know, they built up to a number of big matches with the, with attraction stars and the world champion. And then there was some early sort of almost jobber matches, which is kind of what Mad- the Madison Square Garden start- show starts with. So I knew what I was going to get. I was prepared for it. And so I was kind of like, well, this 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 will be fine. This will be all right. But I uh, I wonder if we'll be feeling that way once Matt gets through, gets through with us today. So 
talking points for the show. And I'm going to, once again, like last week, I'm going to let you guys go first. I'm going to start with Matt, seeing as he's so so revved up for this one. I figure we should start with Matt and let him let him loose on WrestleMania 1. So what does he, what do you want to highlight? What do you want to pull out? As you know, it could be anything, match, promo, uh, theme, anything. We cool with me going just with the overall quality of the show? <laughs> I just need to get this off my chest. Why don't you go for it? Go on. Let's fuck with the format today. Just go for it. Right. Let's just not beat around the bush, right? This show was, and I think I said it about King Kong Bundy a while ago, and I'm going to repeat it again. This show was the drizzling shits. Nothing good about it. I was actively annoyed while watching it. Like, I was getting up and pacing, thinking, when the fuck is this thing going to end? The the match quality was dreadful. The people in there had no business being on the show. I know it's a different time, and I tried to temper my expectations to it, but damn it, it was so bloody boring. I really struggled. I Honestly, I was just so irritated that by the end of it, I thought, what the fuck have I done with the last two hours of my life? What a total and utter waste. So already... If anybody has never seen the show, I'm going to save you some time. Do not bother. It sucks. Historical accuracy? Read up about it, by all means. It was an important show. I'm sure you can get all the facts you need to know by reading about it. You do not need to see it. The quality was terrible. The matches were shit. It was just awful. And I absolutely hated every minute of it. (sighs) So so let let me get it straight, Matt. You didn't like this. <laughs> I've never been so pissed off at a wrestling show in my life. <laughs> and I woke up in a good mood today. I don't know what the hell happened. Wow. Okay. Do you want to... i tell you what, Matt. Seeing as you're there already, do you want to give your rating out of 10? You can give us your MVP of match tonight later as we go through the show. But do you want to give us your rating out of 10 at this early stage in the show? I do. And do you know what? I've never given anything this rating in my life. But do you know what? Zero. There is absolutely no, absolutely right. There is no reason that anybody needs to see this show. I'm telling you, you can read up. You can get what you need from Wikipedia and feel like you were there. Don't (laughs) waste your time. Not worth it. Zero. Enough said. Wow. I can't believe that's the first zero anyone's ever given any show on this podcast. And it's (laughs) well-earned. I think Matt should just be thankful that he hasn't seen some of the shows we've seen on this on this podcast. <laughs> oh man, um, I think I think we uh, do you want to do you want to comment on Matt's thing or do you want to just blaze on to your talking point? You know what? I think it would be unfair to well, and also it would make listening to the rest of the show a bit pointless if I think either either you or me, Tinky, were to address what Matt said because then mm-hmm. the this uh, to go. Oh, that was a cool, nice fifteen-minute episode they did this week. <laughs> We got plenty of shit for your ears. So I'm going to pick on Lord Alfred Hayes, (laughs) who is, I mean, so (laughs) this poor fucking guy, this poor guy. So Alfred Hayes, we've mentioned him a couple of times. He has one of my favourite moments that we've covered, which is when he's commentating on a match, I think it might be the Intercontinental title match at WrestleMania 7, when he uh, is unceremoniously basically shoved off after the match, and you just hear him go, bye, as he's obviously like walking off, which is lovely. As it seems like an absolutely lovely guy, but he is given the task on this show of doing the um, 
he's effectively for the only for the viewer at home or on uh in the theaters as they broadcast it at the time is the hype man for the matches so he'll they'll cut to him he'll talk a little bit about the matches and then he'll throw to some pre-recorded interviews with gene oakland lovely perfect the man looks terrified Every time the camera comes, he's in a terrible spot. So he keeps looking away from the camera. Now, I believe that he's probably reading something as well. But he is in a spot just in front of effectively the entranceway to the ringside area that the wrestlers are using. So he's got people walking behind him. People start walking in front of him. Fabulous Muller kisses him. Dakota... Um, Dakota Kai. Dakota Kai? I thought you were going to say Dakota Kai then. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was her daughter. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nalani Kai uh, kisses him on the cheek as well. He blushes like he's like a little little beetroot he is. But he is fucking awful. <laughs> like, he's absolutely awful. Unbelievably bad. Like I said, we mentioned it. He's not great anyway. But he is terrible he is so awful it's like he's never seen a camera in his (laughs) life and he's never had to do this in his life and i was trying to find out like he joined wwe in well wwf as it was in 82 and then he like kind of started doing some television work in 83 apparently for them according to our good friend wikipedia and i just wonder if doing it live and also as i've said he's not given a lot here because of where he's positioned in the arena and also the fact that it's just a bit of a crap job to be honest they kind of don't really need him i feel like gorilla and jesse could have probably thrown to mean gene in the back but he's holding this program which i like and i thought oh i bloody love one of those programs interestingly he's not holding it for the first bit that they go to him for then they must be like give him a program you'll have that you'll hold that and the one thing i will say for him is he's very consistent and i'll also say as part of this week's Byron Faxton of the Week. Oh, special WrestleMania one elongated uh, the, the, note there, which which admittedly won't go in because I'm pretty sure Tinky just cuts and pastes. I was going to say, <laughs> and, the, the, the joke's on old man because I use the same yeah. button every week. <laughs> yeah. Sadly passed away in 2005. So best wishes to his family as I've just taught him a new one. Byron Faxton of the Week. But uh, I wouldn't have said any of these things to his face when he was alive because uh, he was a black belt in judo. Byron Faxton of the week. Black belt in judo, terrible at talking to a camera. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved it. It's everything you want. It's familiarity. It, you, it's funny you should pick that up because you're absolutely right. I don't know why they felt the need to have Lord Alfred Hayes. It's not like he does anything that is adding anything. Like, he's not even doing something bad that could be of value. He's doing something bad that already has no way of being of any value because all he's doing is going, so we've got up next Tito Santana versus the Executioner. Now some pre-recorded interviews with Mean Gene Oakland. And that's it. That's all he does. And you're like, what, what are you do? Why? Why have you thrown to him? And you said he's like, He's in the entrance way. So, yeah, he's just getting in the way. Ultimately, he's just kind of in the way, both like literally and figuratively. He's just in the way. I, th- I think he's meant to come across as charming. I think that was the idea. I could be wrong. But you, yeah, that, that's that's what the plan was, I think. Do you think that, that in the 80s, that just generally British accents and British culture was just, first of all, 
less well understood by american people and secondly seen as kind of quite i don't know like quite high-end almost like it was because of the fact that maybe there's a sense of pageantry and regality about the the british maybe because people misunderstood what we're really 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 like they just need to listen to our podcast to see what we're really like um maybe that was it i don't know maybe maybe vince thought well we can add a little bit of uh bit of bit of that to our kind of broadcasts i think you are right tinky because i think it also adds an international flavor as well and i think like tito santana is obviously just a mainstay of this period love tito absolutely fucking love him but there's no doubt that he is i i believe that not only is his in-ring talent there, but he gives something for the Hispanic and Latino audience as well. Mm. So there's kind of that like balance as well. But at least Tito Santana was very good at his job. Alfred Hayes is passable at no. his job. No, he's not. He's not passable. He's fucking dreadful. <laughs> but if i did did my job like lord alfred hayes does his i'd have been sacked before i even started (laughs) yeah that's true also uh it wasn't a lord what not an not yet not an actual lord but to be fair if he was rich enough nowadays he'd get in there i have a i have a little affinity with old lord alfred hayes because of the era that he worked in not because he's good at his job because the era that he worked in but he went into the uh, hall of fame in 2018 he went in with the legacy people, yeah. which I think is really, yeah. So like he went in with, and don't get me wrong, like many of these people I've heard of and uh, legitimate. So you've got Boris Malenko, or as I know him, Dean's dad. Uh, Cora Coombs, no idea. Dara Singh, no idea. El Santo, Hiro Matsuda, don't know them too. Jim Lundus, I thought he was a series of shops. Uh, Rufus <laughs> R. Jones, Sputnik Munro, which uh, I'll come back to him in a second. Stan Stasiak, or as I know him, Meat's dad, and uh, and Lord Alfred Hayes. But uh, Sputnik Munro was credited with ending segregation at sporting events in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, don't go wrong, to my understanding, didn't do anything in WWF or WWE. That is so much more than Hillbilly Jim did. Double J Jeff Jarrett did. Goldberg did. <gasps> Not Ivory. Uh, fuck off. Goldberg. Goldberg. Right. All credit to him. The man has made one heck of a career for himself. And he was a massive part of an incredible time in the wrestling industry. But he did not end segregation at sporting events in Memphis, Tennessee. Can't argue with that, Matt. He didn't. <laughs> no. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so were you objecting to the fact that Lord Alfred Hayes went in with the legacy people? I was. Yeah. Mm. And then it made me think, actually, Spunny Monroe should have put... Because what... So, for people who don't know... And the Hall of Fame, what they do is they do the ceremony. It goes on for fucking ages. Load of people chat, a load of shit. Then their time's cut. They get time added on. Don't know. They thank some people. They don't thank other people. Everyone goes, why don't they thank them? It's because they're not allowed to. Or bollocks. They thank some people because they have to. But with the legacy thing, it's just a whistle-stop tour in about a four-minute video where they go, oh, and here are some people that paved the way for everyone else to earn a shit ton of money whilst they all died young or old in crippling agony and possibly a drug addiction. There you go. Hey, well done, everyone. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's WWE's way of sweeping everything up. That mm. they, they haven't done it up until... They only started about four or five years ago, the legacy mm. stuff. And they, they've obviously swept up all these other guys or and women that haven't been put in the Hall of Fame who... They 
they don't think will sell any tickets. Now, in some cases, they might be wrong because I think Luthez might even have been one of the legacy people that's been put in. And I would I would hesitate to guess that there might be some people who would be interested in in, in seeing that. But I think that's what this is about. It's about, you know, the those people that they don't think will sell tickets. And that's why this year, Charmel Sullivan, for example, is going into the Hall of Fame. Now, you know, far be it from me to be someone who complains about someone going in the Hall of Fame, especially given the value of the Hall of Fame. Let's be honest, it's not a particularly valuable place. Hillbilly Jim, Coco Beware, they're in the, the Hall of Fame. You know, this isn't like the cream of the crop. But Charmel Sullivan... I mean, I think they're taking the piss a little bit with that one. Yeah, I, th- I think you can call bullshit on that quite easely. That's a Texas pop, isn't it? Yeah, that that's a, you know, get Booker T to induct her pop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, literally that's... all it is. And like, yeah, do you no... know what? I, I don't know if you guys remember that much about King Booker and, and Queen Charmel, the act. In yeah. all fairness, in all fairness, it was a great act. Hall of Fame worthy. Okay, that's maybe up for debate. Um, And, you know, sh- she was a big part of it. Absolutely. But again, Hall of Fame worthy? Nah, not so much. Well, they're obviously, they're all about the equality now, aren't they, WWE? So I think they would have felt they needed a female to go in as well. So, I mean, don't want to rag on people, but like Tori Wilson's in there. And we've talked about this, like people were in the company where these women weren't given opportunities and that's not their own fault but well i suppose it goes back to what tinky said about the actual legitimacy of the hall of fame which is that it's actually a load of bollocks and it's just a way for people to get together and pat themselves on the back and i think for wwe is just tick some boxes as well they've obviously got quite a checkered past with how they've treated women as we've talked about many a time and other wrestling companies have as well. And I, I'm very cynical about most things that go on in the Hall of Fame now because of that. I think I'm dangerously close to an extraordinary rant, so I'm going to stop there. Ultimately, I think that there is no criteria set. There's no official criteria set for how how you get to the Hall of Fame. So if you take a, another professional sport, especially American sports, they've all got their Hall of Fames. And there is a very, very stringent criteria for getting into their Hall of Fames. Like, I don't know exactly, but basically you get, after a certain number of years after you retirement you are then eligible to be voted on for to be in the hall of fame they get like thousands of people experts within the sport and people who've played the sport and people who've managed and people who who are journalists in the sport to vote and then they have to get something like 70 percent or 80 percent of the vote to even get into the hall of fame and that each person's limited to like like 10 to be able to vote for 10 people who's on that long list of people that could potentially go in not only that but if you don't get in after 10 years you're off the list and if you don't get in after and if you get zero percent or something of the vote or maybe a let maybe five percent or ten percent not sure any one year you're also out of the vote for future years so there's quite a stringent way and it's very difficult to get in now there's still debates about who's in there and who's not but the point is is there's actually a an open and stringent policy of how you go in wwe is just who we're going to put in this year on a whim you know who are we going to who are we going to put in so i don't try i try not to be too serious about it because ultimately it's a wwe hall of fame and it's not that important going back full circle to where we were with lord alfred hayes do i think it was a shame probably should have been put into the hall of fame before he was at a time when he probably would have been a guest but by 2018 the percentage of wrestling fans who were familiar with lord alfred hayes is going to be pretty low um and i think so it to be honest i can understand why they didn't put him in the main ceremony but is this your first experience of lord alfred hayes um i don't think i'm sure i've seen him before 
I couldn't tell you on what show, but, but certainly, yeah, certain, some early footage of him, yeah. Could he have been on that Saturday night's main event that we watched uh, not too long ago? Don't know, possibly. I, I'm sure I've, I know yeah. I've seen him. I know I've seen him somewhere before on some classic footage as well, but yeah, you know, like I said, I haven't seen a lot of him, to be fair. Okay, so my talking point. I'm, I'm going to apologise for being a little bit meta here because it's interesting. I said this before I even knew what Matt's thoughts were. It's how we judge WrestleMania 1 from nearly 40 years later is the thing I want to talk about. I, I don't necessarily blame Matt at all for feeling what he does. And I don't necessarily and I don't necessarily disagree with him, actually, about the way he feels about the, about the show. It might not be particularly great. But I also think that this, the way we are all going to judge WrestleMania 1 today is not the point of this show. And it never was the point of this show. The point of this show was to sell tickets for people who wanted to see whether Hulk Hogan and Mr. T could overcome Rowdy Piper and Paul. Paul Orndorff, whether Andre the Giant could slam Big John Studd, what was going to happen when Wendy Richter went back for a women's title, and all those other matches and the results of those matches. The point of wrestling was always just to sell tickets for that reason. And I think it's really interesting. The wrestling business now is so... I was talking about this. I appeared on Mid-South Moments, Stephen's podcast, uh, a few weeks back. And one of the things we talked about was AEW's recent Revolution pay-per-view. And I said, it's interesting the extent to which AEW seemed to want to sell their pay-per-views solely on the basis of people being excited for the match quality between two people and not selling it on the intrigue around the feud, around who they wanted to win, their hero coming out on top. They were not selling it on the the agony of defeat and the joy of victory. They were selling it on Dean Ambrose versus Brian Danielson. That's going to be a classic match. That's not how wrestling has been sold historically. It's only in the last 15, 20, maybe 25 years at a push that people have even considered that stuff as being important to whether or not a show was worth watching or worth purchasing. And that is not does not include this period of time. So all they cared about this period of time was, are the people interested and invested in the people that's on the show enough for them to buy the pay-per-view or the closed circuit television ticket or get in the arena in Madison Square Garden and watch it? So how we are judging it today is not at all how it was going to be ever measured in terms of its success at the time. And that's the thing I kind of want to talk about is that thing, because as I say, it's just a different world now. We have a different world. We sell wrestling sold on a different basis. But back then, that it was just it was just a different idea of what was important and what was what was good. Ultimately, what was good quality wasn't the same as what it is. It wasn't even that it was a different type of wrestling. That's not what was good and what was bad. It's a different measurement is what makes a wrestling show good and bad. A different thing entirely that we're even looking at. The concept of good and bad in wrestling shows wasn't a thing, was it? It wasn't a thing that the audience consciously considered. Yeah. And I think this is the same in lots of things. Take football, for example. These days, on, football. <laughs> these days, football fans are much more likely to dislike their own team's style of play, regardless of how successful it is on the pitch. So regardless of how often they win or lose, they might still dislike the way their team plays because they want to be entertained in a specific way. Back in 1985, how your team played was no consideration to you so long as they fucking well won the game. <laughs> and that's all that mattered. And that really, in my view, is still all that should matter. If you are a football fan, you shouldn't care how entertaining the team you watch are. You, you'll you be entertained so long as they fucking well win. 
that's all you care about wrestling was similar in that you, you probably subconsciously liked certain wrestlers because you liked the way they wrestled but you probably had no way of articulating that or consciously thinking oh ricky steamboat's a really cool wrestler he i love the way he does his hip toss i love his the execution of his moves i love the way he sells stuff that would just never would have come into it it would just be like i like the guy don't know why i just like him and so i'm gonna go watch his matches because i want to see him win you weren't consciously thinking about how the good the matches were or not yeah do you know you so some really good points there i mean you know you sort of mentioned towards the start that i de- i definitely think that i fit into that sort of category of like i said i started watching in 2001 and for years all i can remember people saying is you know wrestlemania is this sunday i'm gonna have the best match on the show and you heard it every year you know there was at least you know, a period from like your mid 2000s onwards that's all you heard you know guys like Shawn michaels mr wrestlemania i'm gonna have the best match on the show and it got to the point of well, it's like, well, that's what I want. That's exactly what I'm after. I want to see the guy who's going to have the best match. And it has 100% got to the point of that's what I'm looking for. You know, if I watch rest, I mean, don't get me wrong. If it's a good story, great. But predominantly, I do want to see a good match. So I definitely do think that, that I fit into that category. Well, and also the amount of current wrestling I watch, I do as well. If I watch... Like the bits of WrestleMania that I watch, and I will probably watch all of it, but it will probably take me about three weeks to do it on and off. But the bits that I watch initially will be stuff where I know that there's a story going in and there's like a storyline going going on. But I'll also want the best match on the card as well. Like when we were talking about that then, all I could think about was the main event of WrestleMania 17 and that video clip where Austin just goes, I gotta beat you, Rock. I gotta beat you. And it's like that two or three seconds sells all the tickets, I think, all the pay-per-view buys, because people are like, fuck no, we've got, I mean, it helps that they're two of the best ever, and especially the two biggest stars at the time. Mm. But you've got this match going in. But with that match, and I think kind of to the point that Tinky's making, and forgive me if I misinterpreted Tinky, the quality of that match didn't matter. It was the fact that you were going to see these two fucking behemoths go at it. These two fucking leviathans of the wrestling industry at the time. The two biggest guys. Arguably, in, in terms of money, because Hogan was that much earlier, the two biggest draws in the history of wrestling like, are going to go on it. And that's kind of all you needed. But the other stuff before it, you kind of knew was going to take care of the match quality. So you had the TLC2. You had Undertaker Triple H as well, which was always going to deliver. You had uh, Val Venus in Right to Sense, who was always going to smash out the park, <laughs> let's be honest. Come on. But yeah, you had all those lovely things to come before it. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because we all watch it differently now, I think. Mm. Oh, definitely. I, that, I think yeah. that was the point I was trying to make as well, is that it's not just Matt who would be watching it from a uh, from. Mm you know oh, from that perspective we all will be but like that's the point i was trying to make is that that's not really fair that's not really okay. how it should be judged and talking about wrestlemania 17 so i don't think anyone still considered match quality not in the same conscious way as we do now so mm. the tlc match you were guaranteed a quality but it was almost like because you'd seen them do it before we were selling the fact that this was a great match before but it was more about it wasn't like people were going to go and critique it in a kind of oh well they did they botched this or did that it was just oh we're going to see something mad because it's, it's these three guys but the show itself for me was entirely sold on Austin Rock and you're right on that and it's because they were the two biggest stars in the business probably the two biggest stars in the business ever and you cared who won and who lost 
you wanted one of them to win you wanted one of them to lose now some each individual person might have been different about who they wanted to win and who they wanted to lose but you had to go and watch it because you wanted to see the rock win or you wanted to see austin win so you, that's why you tuned in you didn't tune in because you were going to this is going to be a great match that wasn't really and if it and if you were saying great match you weren't thinking about it like it's going to be technically an amazing match with real drama and great psychology you were thinking it's going to be a great match because there's the two biggest stars in the world it would be like if i was get really excited about tuning into a major boxing match between the two best boxers in the world it wouldn't i'd be going oh it's gonna be a great match not because they're probably going to put on a great show just because it's the two biggest stars in the in the in the industry so again i, I we've kind of gradually got there so i think back in wrestlemania mm. 17 which let's not remember let's not forget is 21 years ago now which is crazy but i think at that point we were getting there but we weren't quite there yet as a, as a as a as a kind of industry but now that's almost what everything is sold on is the quality of the match unless i mean there's still a t- star quality side to it as well but um as i say like the aw aren't working hard to set up these really intriguing scenarios between two wrestlers based on the journey that those two wrestlers have gone on they're just going we're going to put brian danielson against john moxley and you're going to be really excited by it because there's a match quality interest to it there just a bit meta apologies for that but i, I do think it's worth saying especially actually after matt said what he said but i already had it written down as my talking point this is a genuine question now this is going to sound very tongue-in-cheek but i know my answer so would you rather watch Let's say John Moxley versus Daniel Bryan, or let's say can't think of any other matches on the card. So let's go for one on WrestleMania. Uh, let's say the uh, women's tag match or the men's tag match, or there's another match I'm trying to think of, but I can't remember. Or would you rather watch Big John Studd? against Andre the Giant. I, I will answer that in the way that I will say I'd rather watch the scenario that Big John Studd and Andre the Giant find themselves in than the scenario Brian Danielson and John Moxley found themselves in. Now, if you could have a way to have the scenario that Big John Studd and Andre the Giant find themselves in prior to this match and it be as good as Brian Danielson versus John Moxley, I'd be doubly happy. But ultimately, I just I want all matches to draw upon the intrigue of the journey the people are on and the sport conceit of the match that they are getting involved in rather than this is going to be a great match because that to me doesn't make for great wrestling i gotta be honest the 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 uh, the Big John Stead and Andre the Giant matches where my uh, where my rage started to creep in, to be honest. So uh, definitely never want to ever see that ever again. <laughs> and we watched John Moxley and Brian Daniel said about a thousand times happily. And like it, it, it's funny though that you know that the, the, you've mentioned some AEW examples, right? Because I, I don't know what it is. Sometimes I find AEW goes too far one way in particular, like you know, like the, so some of the matches that I've seen that they've done before, like some of the Young Bucks matches for example where people absolutely lose their minds and rave about i think a slightly too over the top and just a little bit too much and do you know i I can't even believe i'm actually going to put this in that sort of category but i think that nxt when they were hitting their stride with you know quality takeover show after takeover show after takeover show for me personally is some of the best wrestling and storytelling combined over the last 20 30 years I, I agree. I, I think I know this. I was someone who was really casually watching it, barely watching it at all. But we watched NXT TakeOver Chicago 2. I saw the Johnny Gargano, Thomas Tommaso Ciampa feud oh. that was going on. And we oh. watched the match that was at that show. And for me, that's how you do wrestling 
in the 21st century is you build a personal and followable and investable storyline between two guys, any two guys, but then have them give them the platform to put on the best match at the end of that or or, or as part of that storyline which is exactly what they did with that that's how you do it what AEW do a lot now and i don't want to get on AEW's back i actually enjoy watching AEW. but what they do far too often now is just go we're gonna have tomasa champa against johnny gargano that's gonna be great isn't it and like give me a story give me a journey you know don't just give me the match (laughs) because that's not that's only part of it it's all it's about everything else as well oh wrestling oh wrestling indeed so now we've got on our soapbox in many different ways in this first half of the show we will take a quick break and then we will actually go through (laughs) the matches on this show and that shall be uh i'm sure we'll see matt's head explode as we do it great moments away brutus beefcake johnny valiant on his corner to meet david san martino father bruno in your corner david are you ready i am absolutely ready you know i've been waiting a long time for this i've been training hard and dad's been right behind me you know it seems like beefcake's been a little cocky after he put big jim out of commission but what goes around comes around and he's he's going to be in for a big surprise i just like to say johnny valley don't stick your nose in because if you do so help me you're going to run right into this all right i thank you very much living legend bruno san martino along with son david come on in brutus beefcake man Manager, luscious Johnny Valiant. Moments from now, the what, big one. What was Sam Martino talking about? His fist or a watch? What do you think about pickpocket hanging around uh, Greenwich Village or something? Let me tell you something. I'll stick my schnoz any time I want to. Don't, Beefcake. Tell me what you got to do, my man. Wait, wait, wait. That's enough! That's enough! I will oh, not please. let this man talk. I will do the talking for him. I want everybody to accept the simple fact that JV is the mouthpiece, and I am out there at that ringside. Should! Bruno Sr. stick his nose in where it's Stand not wanted. Next so you Bruno come on down. Martino, I'm going down right now. This is going right down that right, right now, baby. Welcome back. So I was very tempted. I don't know what I've put in the in the break yet because I haven't decided. But I was very tempted just to put the WrestleMania 10 rap in there again because oh, I mean talk yes. about an talk about an earworm that has literally been on my head for the last two weeks since we did the since, since we did the podcast and I listened to it because I did the edit. I listened to it about six seven times during the edit process and uh, I was like, this is amazing. This is just an amazing an amazing wrestling ch- song. Perhaps we could have you doing. The WrestleMania 10 rap <laughs> in the break. Unfortunately, I could do about half of it, well, but right. not one like the first half or the second half. Just intermittent tab like bits of the of the rap. Unfortunately. So what? Could we possibly have the instrumental version of Easy Lover <laughs> at the start, and then the Axel Axel F theme? Because those are the opening and closing music from this show that were obviously dubbed over. Yes, they well. are. Tell what though. They fucking dubbed over with a couple of absolute rippers. The guitar on the first one, uh, on the opener, the closing theme is fucking amazing as well. They've outdone themselves. So let's go through it because people are going to start questioning if we'll ever review the show. And Matt is just going to be getting progressively more and more angry about how long we That's why I'm stalling. They're going to read about it because they don't need to bother. It's okay. Hang on, don't turn off, don't turn off. Shut up. They do need to bother listening to this. So, as you said, old man, it starts with some dubbed over music for the intro video where they just basically list the matches. I'm pretty certain that Vince McMahon does a voiceover here. At least he definitely does on the tagged classic version, which I had on DVD, which was, I believe, a a direct lift from the VHS 
version of the WrestleMania one show. So I'm pretty sure Vince McMahon did a voiceover and the instrumental part of, as you said, Easy Lover is the kind of thing that they've dubbed over here because of uh, copyright. Lots of these copyright things. I wish they'd just be able to leave them in. We just want to be able to see the original content as was presented. The video doesn't make any sense because you don't get the Vince thing. Yeah, over the yeah. top, so it's just pictures of wrestlers. Oh, right, there's some bloody sexy wrestlers. But <laughs> it's like, oh, Hogan, Mr. T against Piper and Orndorff. Well, what's interesting is he's not gone full Vince by this point. And he, I think, just says these. He just sort of says, oh. Hulk Hogan and Mr. T will face, and he sort of does it in a very kind of yeah. almost... Almost like, yeah, laid back lounge, late night chat show type way. <laughs> he sort of announces these matches. So you have Gorilla Monsoon and Dress, Jesse Ventura on commentary. And Gorilla Monsoon says the wrestling extravaganza of all time. I, I think he's missed at least one word there, possibly a couple <laughs> of words, to be honest. Then we have Fink introducing Mean Gene Oakland to sing the U.S. national anthem, The Stars and Stripes. This was obviously before they'd established the America the Beautiful tra- tra- tradition. And we can be thankful for it because we've got Mean Gene Oakland singing the Stars and Stripes. It just started right here and it just it, it never recovered. Do you know what? I, I think I just wrote down and I, I should say that I'm a big fan of Lillian's Garcia singing. And I just wrote down Lillian Garcia. He isn't. <laughs> this was just no, he, he tried. It was almost as if he was trying to be quite, you know, quite a beat and, you know, I don't know, sort of, you know, swing about it. And I just thought, this does not work. It's like a dad trying to get everybody around the table to sing happy birthday to their child. It just came across really bad. I thought you were going to say you were a big fan of Lillian's Garcia then. I was like, you bloody pervert. <laughs> <laughs> It's Mean Gene Oakland singing the national anthem. If you can't enjoy this, what can you enjoy? <laughs> I love this because he's all right. He puts his heart and soul into it. Like you said, he's like a dad at a birthday party. He'd be like, everyone, get involved. I don't have to question his patriotism, though, because he has to keep checking the lyrics on his little, <laughs> uh, on his little note. Which, I mean, I can't blame him because I still ain't got a clue what they say. And I'll go back to, uh, mentioned it the other week, Naked Gun. When uh, Leslie Nelson is pretending to be Enrico Palazzo at the baseball game, and he starts singing the national anthem, and he just goes, "Lots of bombs in the air," and that's kind of like what I'd be doing. But uh, the best is saved till last. When Jesse Ventura says it ranks right up there with Robert Goulet, which is so Robert Goulet for people who don't know, he was. Effectively, I think I might be going too deep on these references, but Paul Sheen, who was in Heidi High, released an <laughs> album, I believe, and he sang in what Vic Creeves and Bob Mortimer classed as the club style. So it's like, <laughs> and Robert Goulet did a lot of that, and he's very suave doing it. Da, 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 da. It's a perfect comparison. It's beautiful. And also, Robert Goulet is in The Naked Gun Two and a Half. <laughs> Beautiful. We just need someone from Naked Gun 33 and a third, and I've completed my Leslie Nielsen trilogy for the day. So just in case anyone's struggling here, <laughs> to understand Old Man's last few sentences, you have to understand what Heidi High is. You have to know what Reeves <laughs> and Bob Mortimer are. You need to know who Robert Goulet is. <laughs> You're in real trouble. Like there, yeah. I, I mean, I'm struggling and I am the same age and grew up with old man. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you are, you are, everyone's going to struggle out there. That is, a, that is a tough mixture of references to get your head around. Hey, you know what? 
We're just starting, baby. <laughs> so what I'm going to do today for this show as well, usually I sort of break, I pause after each promo and then let you talk about it. I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to talk about the promo, then I'll talk about the match, then I'll give you the chance to comment. And you can comment on the promos if you want, but it'd just be all as one, basically. Because there is promos before every single match. Um, and this is also interesting because this is not on the tag classic version of WrestleMania 1. None of the interviews are. Well, I say that maybe one or two are, but very, very few are. I can't understand why, because some of them are absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, the first one is, uh, is Mean Gene Oakland backstage. He's with Tito Santana. He says he respects the executioner, but we will find out whether or not he is up to being in the big leagues. Then the executioner says he is going after Tito's leg and says he is a big leaguer the opening match is tito santana versus the executioner the executioner played by buddy rose uh it's a match that goes for just under five minutes and it ends when santana applies the figure four leg lock and takes the victory by submission uh let's go with old man to start what did you think of this well first off tito santana fucking charisma but this is uh i'm not going to say it's very this is a running thing because obviously these guys aren't this isn't the promo machine that it would be even in uh, three four years time these people aren't cutting promos week on week so there's a lot of very uh very poor promos i enjoy the executioner talking about the leg he mentions the leg i think it's about four times and he's only talking for about 24 seconds so i'm like go on lad you get that fucking leg in there he's terrible now but uh you know what this was all right i got exactly what i was expecting which is tito doing a fair bit of the work physically so a bit more showy than the executioner i like the fact that the executioner does eventually takes him a couple of minutes but start trying to work over the leg it would have been nice if it was mr wrestling too but you can't have everything you know what this was what i expected not particularly great but not awful go on wrestlemania <laughs> matt um how do you follow that um but you know that th- this was one of the things that that wasn't all bad <laughs> you know if if i'm gonna say anything nice about the show this, this was it it was one of those again where it was so short nothing of consequence really happened you know it, there was a drop kick here there was a move there it, it, it was just really short nothing much to it tito's good it was it was fine it was what it was there's one thing you can't deny about this one there's a lovely backdrop in it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lovely backdrop in this one. That's about that's about what I've got. It's all right. It's just over four minutes. I mean, what can you do? If there was a WWE match at WrestleMania this year that was four minutes, I'd expect it to be about as good as this. So can't mm. really argue with that, can I? It's perfect. I won't go as far as say it's perfect. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's all right. It's fine. So then next up is Gene Oakland interviewing Special Delivery Jones. You guys must be very excited about this. He says today is a day for him and we're going to get down. (laughs) And Jimmy Hart and King Kong Bundy also speak to Oakland. Bundy says he wants Jones to think about the avalanche and the five count. I'll be honest, given how long they have, I thought Bundy was pretty fucking good here in this promo. (laughs) He gets his point. He's the most coherent. SD Jones gets must be 20 seconds each. These guys. He says that we're going to get down three times. <laughs> he does. Given what follows, he's not lived up to that. I, I don't know. He definitely got down pretty quickly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So it is King Kong Monday versus Special Delivery Jones. It's a match that we are told sets a new Madison Square Garden record of nine seconds. But actually, the true time is 25 seconds. Uh, they obviously made a mistake there because the previous record, as 
Monsoon on commentary tells us was 23 seconds. So they're obviously trying to get it in before the 23 second mark and didn't manage to. So there you go. That should tell you everything you need to know about the quality of this. Basically, King Kong Bundy just avalanches special delivery Jones in the corner, then gives him a splash and pins him for the one, two, three. Matt, how did you feel about this undoubted classic? I think I've come to the conclusion that King Kong Bundy is the worst ever. Um, of all the people that I've seen in these early day shows, I, I just don't see any remote talent in there whatsoever. I don't understand. I just, I don't get it. I can't comprehend how this guy had a job. Just awful. Do you know, I can understand him being a job. He's a big guy. That's it. But, you know, aside from that, what, again, what was the point? It was a waste of time. No, big thumbs down. I'll tell you what the point was. It was to build Bundy. Now, I'm not going to say that this was the plan, because obviously they didn't. This was like, allegedly, the story goes that enough money was pumped into this that if it had gone wrong, the company was in major trouble. Now, Bundy then main events WrestleMania 2 against Hogan. What better way to build him than have him beat an absolute titan <laughs> like S.T. James? Recorded Delivery Jones. <laughs> they couldn't have done this on like a Saturday night's main event or another show, any other millions of flipping shows. Well, I, I, again, I, I will just go to that point that it is bigger than a normal Madison Square Garden show. But th- there's a couple of things. First of all, before the WrestleMania era, the Madison Square Garden shows were the biggest shows of the cycle, basically the circuit that they did. And this is the biggest Madison Square Garden show of all time because it's available in closed circuit locations. But you would always have these sort of jobbert style matches at the beginning of the Madison Square Garden show. So it's really no different to anything else that they would have done. You're right, they could have just as easily put it on one of their weekly shows. But again, I think you have to remember that WrestleMania wasn't WrestleMania at this point. It was... You know, it was something else. It was my it was damn old movies. modern eyes. <laughs> and what I was going to say is I'm going to punish you at some point in the future for calling this an early show as if wrestling hadn't existed prior <laughs> to this point. I mean, that just shows your modern way of thinking so yeah. clearly to me. It was, it was wrestling before WrestleMania? What? <laughs> well, Matt's very much in the uh, in the Premier League era oh. of wrestling, isn't he? But uh, i got to be honest, right? For what this is, don't mind it. I enjoyed Bundy's promo at the start the 20 seconds he does you get what you get always good csd jones you can't you can't get wrong when you've got recorded delivery jones on the show can you also apparently the reason for the short match was because he had to finish the rounds because uh don't know if anybody else noticed but this was obviously recorded in the afternoon because there's a shot of the clock i think it's during this match and it's 1 14 p.m yeah yeah didn't know that didn't know that at all the other thing is i mean look it's 25 seconds i mean matt i i I get it it's not like supremely amazing but it's 25 seconds what's your problem mate i was gonna say like what 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 do you want you know yeah (laughs) i you tore uh tore bundy a new one as well for like a 40 second match you just hate him why'd you hate him the man's deceased because he's so shit. <laughs> right, hang on, he was shit. Come on, at least at least give him that. He's not oh, anymore, is he? Okay. He was shit then. That's true. Oh, Bundy. Fundamania. <laughs> oh, Bundy, you came and you. <laughs> oh my god. And um, next up, we have Gene Oakland interviewing Matt Bourne. We all know who Matt Bourne is, don't we? Do we know? I was about to say Doink, yeah. Yeah, the original Doink. Also, prior to WrestleMania, member of the Rat Pack with Ted DiBiase in Mid South Wrestling. They were a heel tag team, and they also had in their stable Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Got a big deal in me. Oh! 
I, I'm, I'm still struggling with wrestling before WrestleMania. What What is this new concept? Yeah, sorry about that. So Matt Bourne says that Steamboat is one of the best wrestlers in the world, but it's too nice. And Steamboat says he's come to WWF to develop his mean side. So this is all kind of around the concept that Ricky Steamboat is a nice guy, which I believe on this podcast we have ripped apart pretty succinctly so far. So sorry, WrestleMania, you are too late we've already ripped this this illusion apart uh the match itself is a again just under five minutes and it ends when steamboat hits a big flying crossbody for the win oh man well this was all right to be honest like again we've got it's a four minute match i uh always like matt Bourne because of the doink stuff that especially heel doink and he's a heel right heel here in inverted commas yeah i thought this was all right i gotta be honest uh steamboat does hit a rather lovely hip toss, I must say. It's I'm not one of these guys who's like, oh look at this deep arm drag, oh my god, oh and then I fucking flogging myself, just oh yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it is a lovely, lovely hip toss. I thought this was fine. This is fine. This is four minutes and thirty nine seconds. It's the best four minutes and thirty nine seconds of the show so far, and I'll take that. Well, I'll be honest. Go on, Matt Bourne. Who, um, again, like, we'll go back to the Hall of Fame. Not in the Hall of Fame. What a fucking waste. <laughs> but he did, unfortunately, had uh, enormous drug issues. He did. Which took his life early, which is very sad. Because by all accounts, he was a lovely man. Didn't know him, though. Could have been a cunt. S.D. <laughs> hey, Jones is in the Hall of Fame, though. The legacy wing. Is he? Yeah. He never missed a delivery date, all right? <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck it you are riding that aren't you <laughs> do you know I, I don't know if i had a bit more expectations of this because of, of a lot of the guys that i've heard an awful lot about that now that i'm going back and watching some of them uh, ricky steamboat is always one that has almost universally been just completely praised by everybody i've spoken to so i don't know if my expectations were a little bit higher it was a basic match and f- and for my taste, it was a little too basic. It, it wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was it was just there. There, there was nothing really to it. So in, in in between, I guess. Yeah, this was fine. Um, great atomic drop. Great. Yes. Uh, great belly to belly suplex by Bourne. Lovely little snap suplex. I mean, they did some good ma- good moves there. I thought. Again, I think this is again one of those things where I was I was conditioned to know what I was going to expect in all of this. So if I saw anything of quality, I was like, oh, that was amazing. So anything where there. Was was like a super like a vertical suplex is pretty much incredible on the, these kinds of shows as i said i think i think there's just a difference in sort of my preparedness for what i was about to see uh this has also got the i think the first time we've heard gorilla monsoon say on this podcast external occipital protuberance he says during yeah. this match and i think it's the first time we've heard him say it on, uh, on a show that we've covered on the podcast so that's that's really cool yeah it was fine a quick note on a uh, steamer he is fucking enormous he is absolutely massive. I was really caught off guard by that. I was like, he's a big motherfucker, isn't he? Who's that? So next up, we have some backstage interviews by none other than Gene Oakland. He is with David and Bruno San Martino. David says he is ready, and Bruno tells Johnny Valiant not to stick his nose in or he'll sort him out. Johnny Valiant then says he'll do what he wants, and Beefcake blows a raspberry. Doesn't say anything, (laughs) just blows a raspberry. Interestingly enough, Bruce Beefcake is billed as being from parts unknown here. So he's almost like he's some kind of mystical, mystery-type character that he's playing. Very strange. 
mentioned, I've never noticed this before. Uh, he and David Sammartino then proceed to have a nearly 12 minute match, which ends in a double disqualification when Johnny Valiant tries to get involved and Bruno Sammartino comes over and has a little scrap with him. And then we have a bit of mayhem. Everyone's involved and there's a double disqualification. Massive pop and chance for Bruno. That's the match. Uh, let's go with you first, Matt. First off, Bruno San Martino has a son. I didn't know this. I was genuinely taken aback by that. I was, and like, I've heard quite a lot about Bruno as well. And I never knew that he had a son. So let alone that his son was involved in WrestleMania. So for me, that was a huge shock, which was quite interesting and probably made this more interesting than it would have done otherwise. Again, it was, I mean, I say it was basic. I mean, I say basic. I don't use the word basic, actually. It was more, it's quite, it was very heavily map-based, which, do you know what? Depending on the mood that I'm in, sometimes I like that kind of a match. And for, for what it was, it was okay. And there was one unbelievably sort of stiff elbow that Brutus hit in the corner at one point. I'm sure it was like um, a sort of, you know, straight down elbow into the mouth, which I just thought, bloody hell, that I, I thought that looked a little bit violent for the time. But the, the finish, eh, okay, you know, the, the finish was what it was, you know. I'm not a big fan of these big DQ finishes, but the, the people loved it, you know, and it, the, the show was there for them and they loved it. They loved Bruno, evidently. You know, they went absolutely crazy for it. So I suppose from that perspective, it was a win. But yeah, you know, it was match-wise, it was okay. But yeah, it was, I just really surprised to, to see Bruno Sammartino's son. That was the biggest shocker for me. I don't know on the promos. This is the first time I noticed that um, people were wearing different clothing in the promos than they were to the ring, which caught me off guard. Anyway, enough about that. Bruno Sammartino's jumper is lovely. He's, he's just wearing a grey woolen jumper. <laughs> what? Why? He's a man of the people, old man. All right, he's not—he's not one of these fancy dans with the suits and whatnot. He comes out. He's a working-class guy who's out there to do his work, be honest, and you know. You know what? That's actually a very good point. Like he's not—he's not showy. Um, they work their absolute socks off. These two lads, I must say, and fair fucks them. And I—I gotta be honest, Brutus deserves a lot of credit for this. <laughs> I think because old DS David doesn't look particularly equipped to handle an 11 minute match i think is probably the kindest way to put it and i think to your point matt that's why there's a fair bit of uh let down stuff going on and i think beefcake kind of carries this and we know where we're going we know from the promo exactly where we're going we're waiting for johnny valiant to get involved and then bruno to go around and like tinky said a fucking pop is Unreal. Absolutely amazing. Obviously, Bruno Sammartino is a fucking legend. Is the, in wrestling, the Madison Square Garden guy. He is effectively that building in wrestling. It's phenomenal. And because of that, I fucking loved the end. I absolutely loved it. And I thought this was as, when you've got Beefcake and a guy that I've never heard of, like never ever heard of wrestling. I thought this was going to be fucking rough as shit. And as it was, this is three wipes and I'm done. And I'll take that. And it was also quite nice to have something a bit slower paced because it felt like there, in particular, the last two matches, obviously, you've got the Bundy match, which is an absolute clinic, 25 second clinic. <laughs> but because of it, it's fast paced. Now you've got two matches, but they have to take place 
within that time period. And you've got the lads before, Borney and Steamers, trying to get a fair bit of stuff in in just under five minutes. And this kind of slowed everything down. And you've got the pop at the end. Everyone's happy. At this point, I'll be honest, I'm not being sarcastic just to why Matt. At this point, I was enjoying this card because there was nothing offensive. It was plodding on nicely and I was all right with it. This is the first match of the attractions, the first match of the draw, the, the matches that are supposed to draw you to this show. The previous three are all completely undercard jobber type matches, really. This this is the first of the actual attraction matches. And the attraction here is Bruno Sammartino and that's it. There's nothing, no one cares about anybody else. I've read some stuff about how basically WWF used David Sammartino just because it meant they could get Bruno Sammartino to come along and be involved. And Bruno Sammartino, even to 1987, still headlined a few Madison Square Garden shows. That's how big he was, given that he'd first become WWF champion in 1963. I think that kind of does demonstrate just how big a star he was in that building in particular. And yeah, the place goes nuts for him. It's fantastic. Uh, and that's easily the highlight. And that's the reason the match is on the show anyway. So from that perspective, it was successful. You're right about David Sammartino, not particularly skilled and didn't really go on to do much at all in his career. My main interest during this match before the Bruno stuff was the uh, commentary here where Grilla Monsoon was very distracted by Brutus Beefcake's tights. And then a bit where Brutus Beefcake is bent over and Ventura says the fans are definitely getting a good view of the beefcake <laughs> <laughs> which properly pops gorilla doesn't it he knew what he was doing there he knew exactly what he was doing there brilliant absolutely brilliant stuff so yeah that's what you've got to enjoy these shows for it's, it's a bit of that so we come to match number five, which is Junkyard Dog against Greg Valentine. There's, as usual, some pre-match interviews. So we've got um, Valentine saying that JYD is going to see why he's called the greatest IC champ ever. I do want to make a point here because I did criticise NXT for doing something similar. The Intercontinental title by this point is only about four or five years old. So ever <laughs> is not a particularly big boast, if I'm perfectly honest. And then JYD says this is the biggest chance of his life coming up as he faces Valentine for the IC belt. Junkyard dog is wearing a tiny watch it's tiny to the point where i'd be like i don't know whether i can see the time <laughs> it's gold and he does his little he, and i was like he's warrior before warrior and he's better than warrior Oh, this is also one of Matt's favourites, isn't it, Junk, Junk and Dog? I forgot. So this match goes for just under seven minutes. It ends when Valentine pins Junkyard Dog with his feet on the ropes, but Tito Santana runs out and tells the referee what's happened. The ref then restarts the match, but Valentine refuses to get back in the ring and is counted out. JYD gets the victory. Old man. JYD, this is a mark of where he is. He gets a, a ring entrance. Mm-hmm. Like he gets an entrance so like again we've talked about this before oddly over like and the crowd massively. love him as well he was a massive yeah. star yeah. crowd absolutely love him this is not very good I think it would be fair to say and I think that the limitations of Junkyard Dog are shown up within about four seconds and also the limitations that we pointed out many times with Greg Valentine in that he is infamous for needing about three weeks to get warmed up into a wrestling match before he can kind of get going. And they get just under seven minutes. It's completely hamstrung by the finish as well, because it doesn't really matter what they do, because the finish is so crap. Because Tito Santana comes down, he's showered, he's dressed, looking very dapper, lovely old job. Would have been better if he'd come down in his pants or just in a towel. Like he'd just been like, oh, bloody hell, what's going on here? But um, to restart the match, 
only for Greg Valentine to walk away and get counted out. It's just really crap. Obviously, it plays up to the fact that, oh, Greg Valentine's a chicken shit heel. He doesn't want to go back in there. But he did just pin Junkyard Dog. I know we used the ropes, but there's no way JYD was kicking out of that. And you could see it, clear as day. <laughs> he was down for the three. But yeah, not very good. Um, Jimmy Hart does take a heck of a bump. To the outside and this floor does clearly not have any padding on it looks like it's just wood over what was probably at the time would have been the basketball court so it's wood on wood and uh yeah rough bump for him but not very good like this not very good at all but again exactly what i was expecting but it this is the first real dip that this card had taken anyway in terms of the quality of the match and with the finish i was like oh oh you've ruined it you've ruined it yeah <laughs> oh, i was having a good time but when jyd wins the crowd are fucking going nuts like yeah. they're going nuts it's like he's won by count out having been pinned <laughs> And you are going fucking bananas for it. I was like, fair fucking play to them. And again, it plays into what Tinky's raised a couple of times. This is a whole different fucking era. A whole different era of wrestling. Where they just wanted their JY Dizzle to get the win. And boy, did he. So a couple of notes here. First of all, as you say, Junker Dog gets an entrance. And I, he has some dubbed over music. I believe the original would have been Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. Which was his entrance music when he uh, was in Mid-South. <laughs> Um, and if anyone, if anyone's a little bit, um, it's putting me off so much, I can't, I can't concentrate. If anyone's a little bit curious as to the way WWE have handled, oh, yeah! <laughs> if anyone's a little bit curious as to how WWE have handled this on the Mid South shows where he comes out to another one bites the dust, I would recommend going and listen to it because they have put together a lovely little song that they've dubbed over Junkyard Dog's um, entrance. It's not, they don't use it here, which is a real shame. I was actually genuinely hoping that they were going to do it, um, but they don't. But there's a great little uh, Junkyard Dog song uh, that they've, they've dubbed over, um, and I recommend it. The second point I was going to make before I hand to Matt for his comments on this show was that I did note that the, uh, the Howard Finkel announced that this had a one-hour time limit, and then I was thinking... <laughs> Oh, I bet Matt is absolutely fucking loving this. Matt. Because <laughs> when they said oh, yeah, our time limit, I just burst out laughing. I just thought, wow, really? I mean, I was thinking there's no way in hell they were going to go that length. But do you know what? I, I don't know what it is about Junkyard Dog that's just so damn captivating. <laughs> It's just something about this guy that's just really interesting. And one of the things he was doing mid-match, like, you know, getting on all fours and doing, like, the dog headbutts. What the hell is that? But it was funny. And I actually did laugh. So if ever there was anything on this utterly abysmal shit show that I actually enjoyed and would award a match of the night to, it was this. Junkyard Dog... Applause, sir. You have done it again. So is he your MVP as well? Do you know what? Yeah. Let's just go the whole the whole way right now. Junkyard Dog is just the man. Interestingly, I've never seen a dog do what JYD does. <laughs> so I kind of get the thing that he's going for, but a dog won't do that because a dog will always 
always protect its neck, so it therefore it will always go with its teeth, so that the other dog is worried and can't. Yeah, weird. But hey, you know what? Maybe he's not an actual dog. That's Rick Steiner. Oh yeah, sorry. The, the old dog face gremlin. He's not a dog, is he? He's a gremlin. Sorry, he's just got a dog face. That's all. I I, I, I fall somewhere between the two of you. I don't think he's the match of the night, but I don't think he's particularly bad. Um, just for your benefit, Matt, I I have actually watched a match with Greg Valentine in Madison Square Garden that went an hour with Bob Backlund from 1981, I think it is. Again, it's one of those matches. If you can get yourself in the mood for it, ain't bad. Ain't too bad. Um, but anyway, this didn't go an hour mercifully and i don't i'm god be honest i'm not sure junior dog could have gone for an hour I, th- I think he was struggling at nearly seven minutes to be honest but yeah again super over for the intercontinental title at a time when the intercontinental title still meant something well meant a lot more than it does now uh, i don't even know if they've got a match booked for that on uh, wrestlemania thus far as we're recording at least so yeah um it was okay it, it passed quick enough you know, it was one of those ones where I sat down. It wasn't entirely comfortable, but it came out and I you know, could forget <laughs> forget about it quite quickly afterwards. Oh, that's lovely. So after the match, Greg Valentine looks quite angry. His heart holds him back. And then there is some arguments. But in the end, Valentine leaves the ringside to booze. We then go to some more backstage interviews. So we've got Gene Oakland with Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik where Iron Sheik begins by saying, you know Gene Mean? <laughs> that's that's actually what he says. Uh, Oakland then accidentally calls Volkov a commie, accidentally on purpose, I should say. Mm-hmm. And we get, we're going to get some stuff with them later on on the mic as well. So I'll come back to that. Lou Albano and the US Express then say that they're going to get the job done in their backstage interview. That was about as much as I could get from their, from their thing. But of course, the US Express are Bray Wyatt, as we established not too long ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Alfred Hayes. Still stood in his little spot in the corridor, mm. but people are walking through now. They don't care about him. Basically pushed him out of the way. So he's quite understandably quite distracted. He says, so uh, me and Gene caught up with both teams and they had some opinions. So let us hear some more about those opinions. And then he cuts to it and I'm like, fucking hell, mate. So uh, Captain Lou is there. The things in his face are horrible. Always really weirding me out. But uh, old Iron Mike is... In the back, in the I'm, back I, of the, uh, Iron Mike Rotunda, I should, uh, yeah. I should clear up for anyone yeah. listening for the first time. Yeah. Tyson? <laughs> <laughs> He's a much nicer guy than Tyson, I'll tell you that much. Oh, Captain Lewis says that the team are on their way to the ring right now. Now, Iron Mike is wearing jeans and a polo shirt, or as I like to call him, Tommy, at WrestleMania 26. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, not bad, these two little promos, I've got to be honest. And I was... Uh, I was buying up for this. I say this before this started. I was buying up for this match. Of course you were. It was Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov against Bray Wyatt. What, 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 yeah. you, uh, what are you yeah. expecting? I should clarify for anyone who, again, hasn't listened to the previous episode in which we discussed this, is that this is Wyndham and Rotunda, which is the name of Bray Wyatt in real life. Wyndham Rotunda. No, um, no, yeah. it, no, it's, no, it's Barry Mike, isn't it? <laughs> yeah that's right barry mike sorry mike no mike barry that's the one right <laughs> so before the match nikolai volkov sings the russian national anthem and then the iron sheik shouts russia number one iran number one usa ha yeah classic bit um, of iron sheik interestingly uh he doesn't sing the russian national anthem it's the soviet national anthem it is apologies yeah so uh he's getting history right but, but iron uh, sheik does say russia number one he does as well and i was like oh it's lovely the heat on Volkov, quite understandably at the time as well, is sensational. And his voice is 
as good as Mean Cheats, I think. <laughs> I don't think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know if that's a criticism or not. Me neither. Nikolai Volkov was actually Yugoslavian or Croatian. Um, it was Yugoslavian, Yugoslavia when he was born, though, um, not Russian or from the Soviet Union. And he was also billed as being from Mongolia early in his career, which is interesting. Yeah. Well, to be fair, he does look like it. So then we get the US, US Express come out with their dub music, which, of course, is because oh. they were originally coming out to the Real American, which is now dubbed over Hogan's music later on. So why they didn't just cut out the middleman and give this straight to Hogan, mm. who knows? But that's what happens here. So, yeah, this is for the tag team titles. It's just under seven minutes in length and it ends when uh, the Iron Sheik nails Barry Windham with Blassie's cane behind the referee's back and Volkov pins him to win the titles. Oh, man, what were your thoughts on this one? Well, first off, this feels like the first big match this feels like the crowd are properly in this they're fucking bang up for the us express they're bang up for booing the shit out of iron shake and nikolai volkov another reason why i was bang up for it as well now iron mike rotunda i think he needs to be renamed bronze mike because his tan <laughs> is hogan-esque in this match it is wonderful obviously he carries it wonderfully because he's a great man the match just goes on just goes at a lovely little lovely little pace for the first minute or so and then uh iron shake brings out the big one brings out the big move puts an abdominal stretch on iron mike well bronze mike i'm in and the commentators great bit of commentary i must say the commentary commentary is good all the way through this because there's um they don't bounce off each other like they obviously will do as time goes on but they're just very good at calling what they're seeing and gorilla i think it is, says oh iron shake hasn't got his left leg down so it's not locked in sure enough a couple of seconds later bronze mike hip toss lovely old job this is after bronze mike has taken a bit of bit of treatment and then he makes the hot tag to windows and it fucking all goes off then windham and volkov have a lovely little exchange i got i need to get this in because otherwise i'll forget volkov is fucking great in this he's really really good considering he's a big old unit he's a decent shape as well at this point and he's not moving like he shit himself which about in about two years time he does so i'm guessing he must have had some major like back problems or something but we mentioned this at wrestlemania 10 bret hart's bulldog now it's not of the level but Wyndham hits one on volkov that is pretty sensational it's pretty fucking good, this bulldog that he hits. And then you get the dirty finish. I fucking love it. And then there's just this little thing at the end that just makes it. Because I this is seven minutes. They get every fucking ounce out of this. Seven minutes. But at the end, after old uh, Windows has been whacked with the cane, the first thing Bronze Mike does is get in the ring and check on Wyndham. He doesn't go after the heels. He's checking on his mate. And I was like, that's just lovely. That's mate size. That's lovely. Great heat at the end. My match of the night. This is great stuff. Matt, your response. The stuff that they do here that, yeah, I know the the America versus the, you know, the the foreigner type thing. I mean, I, I know back then it was, you know, it, it was all the rage and it was always. Back good then? Thing. 
It's well, still doing it. I know. I know. It's, it'll never go away. It'll always be popular, but it's it's just not to my taste. It, and it's it's really something I, I just I can never get on board with it. It's just not for me. And I, I just I, I find that I automatically switch off, you know, so as soon as they started doing the anthem, I was like, oh, OK, and I just think this is where my bad mood started to really creep in. And to be fair, match wise, it wasn't. It wasn't bad, but just like I said, is this this type of heat and this type of angle just it just does nothing for me. So it it, it was just it was too much for me to get into. So I I kind of just switched off. T- to be honest, it's like I said, it, it wasn't that bad, but just not to my taste. So this wasn't my match of the night, but it does have my MVP of the night, who is the Iron Sheik, because oh, I thought in addition to Volkov being really good. The Sheik was really good as well. I thought actually, Matt, you might like some of the stuff Sheik did here because he does he does a gut run suplex. You love a gut wrench. We spoke about this before. He did. He did do that, to be fair. And of course he did your favourite move, old man, as well, as you've already detailed, the abdominal stretch. So I was like, what well, what's not to like? It's got everything got something for everyone. This it's fantastic. I just thought this was a really decent little tag team match. I, I went into this show anticipating that this would be my match of the night. As I said, it isn't, but I anticipated it would be. Because it's not bad at all. I think Volkov and Anchik are really good. I think that Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda are really good as well. I think there's four actually decent wrestlers in the ring here, and they're all in fairness, kind of bringing it a bit. You know, there's actually a little bit of uh, an attempt to create something a bit more than just what we've seen before. I mean, in fairness, as I said, a lot of it is being squash or jobber matches, really. So, you know, this was, yeah, the first bit of genuinely decent action on the show. And I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it quite a bit. Also enjoyed the stuff with uh, Freddie Blassie and Lou Albano on the outside. A couple of uh, managers going at it. Albano had been a heel for the majority of his time in WWE. But again, by this point, it had been a baby face after i believe pretty much just because he had appeared in cindy lauper's girls just want to have fun video which is the only reason he really became a baby face i believe but anyway yeah worked well for me it's just not a lot to dislike here no agreed like and i think as well like understand your point Matt, about the um the whole usa against effectively the rest of the world it's just good shit and i think this is very um when i was watching this i feel like what these guys are doing a little bit is kind of saying to the main event that this is how you do a tag match this is how you put a tag match together and obviously it's a very different experience in the main event but i think this is kind of maybe the i don't maybe, maybe i'm thinking about it too deep but maybe this is the trade-off so you're going to get a mess of a tag match in the main event because of everything around it so you can have this lovely little tag match in the middle and then you can have a cracking little time in the next match so before we get to that next match, we first of all have Gene Oakland backstage. He's live now backstage and says yeah. that he's as shocked as anyone. And then he interviews Freddie Blassie and Oakland asks Blassie where his cane is. And Blassie says, I didn't have one. What are you talking about? <laughs> Great stuff. That is really good. I love that bit. So then we have Gene Oakland interviewing Big John Stud and Bobby Heenan. Stud says that Andre won't be able to slam him and it'll be Andre's last match coming up. Oakland seems very interested in the bag of money with the $15,000 in it. He constantly wants to finger the money in there. Heenan has to tell him to get off the money again and again and again throughout this. Cracking stuff. We don't get a pre-match interview with Andre the Giant. We go straight to the $15,000 slam challenge contest. 
contest, which goes just under six minutes and ends when Andre gets Big John Stud up for the slam and therefore has won. If Andre had not been able to slam Stud, he would have had to retire. And Andre then gets hold of the bag of money, starts to throw it out to the crowd until Bobby Heenan sneaks up behind him, grabs it and then runs away. Just before the match, they cut to Alfred Hayes, who says... I know we're on. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, fuck, I'll commit it now. I know we're on to an intriguing match, if I may even use the word. <laughs> of course you can. You can say whatever you want, Alfred. No, no, Alfred, you're not allowed to use any words, but the people who are in the match and the words, and now Jimmy, yeah. that's all you're allowed to say. <laughs> uh, also, a note on the uh, on the old Stud Muffin and Heenan's promo, because of the Gene Oakland stuff with the money, it's best so far. It is. Great stuff. And this was like, you've got Heenan and Oakland. You've just got a little glimpse into that, like, that chemistry that they'd have for all those years when Oakland would be interviewed. Oh, lovely. Great stuff. And this is the thing that Matt's not got as well. Is you've not got the memories of what comes as well. So there's a lot of, like, little things where I'm just like, oh, this is lovely. Because then they move on to this. Great stuff. Yes, yes. WrestleMania. Oh, man, did you enjoy the match at all? Oh, you know what? I did. <laughs> because um, this is exactly what it's going to be. It's just, in Tommy's words, two enormous bollocks hitting together. This is like four bollocks. So two bollocks on each side, slapping together, making horrible noise. But I love the fact that I've heard this loads of times as well, that Andre the Giant hated Big John Stud, by all accounts. And I think because I have heard this, it gave extra impact to the chops that he gives him which are no fucking joke they're like they're not rick flair and Shawn michaels chops they're not hand chops they are side of the hand chops and they look fucking brutal they look absolutely brutal but this is effectively andre the giant having a lovely time with big john stud lobbing him around kicking him he kicks his left leg don't know why he's working over the left leg no one knows, but the commentators seem very keen on pointing it out at the end as well. It's a replays of the kicks to the leg, <laughs> which is great stuff. There's nothing special in this. Let's be honest, there was never going to be anything special in this. But it's all worth it for the fucking pop when Andre picks up Big John Stud. It is sensational, the pop. That's the only word I can think to describe it. And it, it really hit home for me just how fucking enormous a star Andre was uh, we watch Wrestlemania 7 and he comes down and he's in very poor health at that point and he comes down and the crowd absolutely love him you obviously get like the moment that I think many wrestling fans know him for is Wrestlemania 3 where Hogan hits on him the slam heard around the world which is a phrase that Jesse uses at the end of this match to describe the slam given to John Studd I thoroughly enjoyed this I'll be honest I, it was just a bit of nothing up until the slam and then you get like you said Tinky the moment with the money Andre looks happier than I've ever seen him in this and then we get we'll get to the promo afterwards just really nice just nice to see go on Andre I'm probably going to be pretty much the polar opposite of almost everything you just said there. <laughs> this, for me, is part of why the show was shit. And this is really where I started to get really, really irritated and just lost it. We talked about it earlier, you know, like, you know, people wanted to be able to see if Andre was going to be able to slam in. That was like the sell of the match. And to be blunt, I didn't care. If that was the selling point of the match, I did not care. I was thinking, okay, is he going to slam him? Is he not? 
don't give a shit if he does. I was thinking, well, of course he's probably going to. So immediately that was me taken out of the concept of the match because I thought, I bet any money he's going to. So that that didn't appeal to me. And yeah, it was all it was all about getting to that. So that that took it away from me. And I'm going to say something that is probably not all that popular, but hey, that that's you know going to you know lay lay the lay down the facts for you. Like I said earlier, do you know what? <laughs> I don't like Andre the Giant. I'm not a fan. I get why he's seen as important and. You know, like like I've said before, you know, in other shows, I've seen the Andre the Giant documentary that was on Sky or something a couple of years ago. Still one of the best wrestling documentaries I've ever seen. So it was a fascinating look into him. But I just, I'm not a fan of, of Andre's. You know, it's one of those when I see his name on, on a show, I think, okay. It's almost the antithesis of what we've been discussing, of what I expect to see. I know, again, we're in different times and it's hard. It is hard for me to try and put myself in that mindset. I'm not going to get an amazing match out of Andre the Giant. But I still part of me is thinking, oh, I want to see something. And I just find him so boring. There's just something there. Uh, I, I, I almost switch off when I see that Andre is on the show. And I know that's not going to be popular. And I know a shitload of people will disagree. But you know what? Tough. I, I think most people will agree with you, to be honest, because, again, if you're watching it through modern eyes, there's not a lot here. There's really not a lot here. It is not. And to be honest, even at the time, it's not a particularly good match. But again, it doesn't matter. It, that is not what this show's judged on at the time. It's the pop. It's people wanting to see Andre, buying tickets to see Andre. Andre, who prior to 1980, well, probably, probably prior to this show, really, was probably the biggest wrestling star in the world, bar none. Because at the time, you still had a relatively regional setup. Even the WWF hadn't fully gone national by this period, by this point. And Andre was one of the few people who could sell tickets anywhere in the country. He was also someone who could sell in Japan and in Europe and all over the world, basically. So there wasn't anybody as big as Andre John in terms of being a star. And that's what mattered, really, and the, getting people in. So I can completely understand why you wouldn't enjoy watching him. But I think it's it's kind of like there are some old films for example that i struggle to watch because they're slower paced or their the production values obviously are not as good because they're really old or whatever but you watch them and there's a there's just a acknowledgement of the reason why it was important or the reason why it was in the t- at the time considered progressed to the industry in some way same goes for certain music that maybe has come many many years in the past this is one of those things where you you kind of almost have to accept that you you know, this isn't necessarily what you watch wrestling for in 2022, but in 1985, this is still a draw for people, regardless of even if, you know, it's not particularly good. It's still a draw to a large section of a lot of people across the wrestling business. You're absolutely right. And it's one of those things because I can totally appreciate it because I like to think, when I, you know, when I was a kid, um, being able to see the likes of the big show, you know, I, I wanted to be able to go see WWE live, just be like, oh, my God, you know, whoa, it's the big show. Mm. Just to be able to say that you've seen something that big and in person. So I, I totally get how we would have been a ticket seller from that point. But yeah, like I said, it's just with with, with my you know current modernizers, as soon as I see just his name on a card, I'm just like, 
ah, it's just no, oh, I, I don't, I don't know. Like there, there were some sort of humorous things I managed to get out of it, you know, uh, you know, like you said, oh man, like I, I heard that um, again from the same documentary that you know Andre and Big John Stud didn't get on. And to see him just ragdoll him in the corner, I, I genuinely feared for the poor bugger's life at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, aside from that, just, yeah, whenever I see Andre, I'm like, no thanks. Is it Big John Stud that he does the shit on, I think, in a house show? He sits he on his chest and just does a shit. Oh, God, that's so bad. <laughs> So in terms of my thoughts on this match, I I actually agree with you, uh, we, we agree with you, Matt. I don't think it's very good. I think it's pretty pretty dull. I think there's not much to it until the slam. It's Andre though, isn't it? It's Andre the Giant. It's hard to hard to argue with it. Sorry, I forgot to say Andre's my MVP. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so Andre's still on the Andre's still on the screen uh, after this because he's uh, he sort of meets up with Gene Oakland at the entranceway and Andre says that he doesn't care about the money he slammed Big John Stud and that's all that matters Andre says he's not yet ready to retire. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. I think the reason why I enjoyed this and I enjoyed seeing Andre like this is that most of the stuff I've seen, he's playing a hill and you don't really get any personality out of him. And I think you get a little bit of that. And he genuinely looks delighted with life. And again, the stuff that I've seen of him, like WrestleMania 3, which is only two years after this, he can barely move. When he's in the match with Hogan at WrestleMania 4, it's like watching a geriatric grandpa. The way that his body must decline very rapidly after, probably after this, just nice to see him happy. So next we get backstage Cindy Lauper and Windy Richter with Gene Oakland. Windy? Windy, Windy Richter <laughs> with Gene Oakland. Richter says that she only lost the women's title because Fabulous Moolah got involved. Then we also see Leilani Kai and the Fabulous Moolah. And Leilani Kai says that she's going to be back later with her hand raised in Victor. That's what she said. Her hand raised in Victor. I don't imagine Victor is particularly happy about having a hand <laughs> raised up him, but that's what she said. So I just took her word for it. <laughs> Obviously, we'll never know. No. Were you uh, disappointed that Wendy Richard didn't use her catchphrase, Tinky? I was, I was. I thought there was something there. I thought it was coming. And then she didn't say, girls just want to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> What a shame, what a shame. This is up next is the Women's Championship match. It's a six-minute match. We've got Fabulous Moolah in uh, Lalani Kai's corner, Cindy Lauper in Wendy Richter's corner. Lalani Kai is the defending champion. There's some more dubbed-over music for Richter's entrance, which would have been Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy Lauper. And the win comes for Wendy Richter when Lalani Kai hits a flying cross body uh, off the top, but her, and I will put this in air quotes, momentum carries her over and Wendy Richter gets the pin. Let's start with you, Matt. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? That, that's exactly how I felt about the fit. I was like, oh, and again, I, I should point out that I was still in such a bad mood at this point. As soon as I saw that, <laughs> I just went off a fuck's sake man i was like come on you can't even do a crossbody reversal properly what is the matter with this show so i just thought no nah, i'm done uh, it just wound me up to no end it, it wasn't a good match this it, it just wasn't great the finish was buggered yeah i just thought no nah, i'm done that's it enough I mean, we start off pretty hot because Fink <laughs> refers to the title as the ladies' championship, which I enjoyed. And I was like, oh, I did realize it was called the ladies. Turns out it isn't. He's just, he's just had a moment. I'm um, also, the, so 
Cindy Lauper comes down. She's very excited, very excited. And um, the Fink is trying to get out of the ring, but he's trying to get out of the ring by the corner where Lauper is, and he's fucking terrified of her because she's waving this towel around, and he's like, "Oh, I don't want to get too close because I don't don't want to get whipped in the eye with a towel." <laughs> I was laughing about that. I mean, let's be honest, this isn't very good, and I wasn't expecting much. But Wendy Richard does hit like a cracking like AA type move. Mm. It's the best move on in the match. So much uh, like, like on her shoulders and then yeah and then yeah sort of, I, I was wondering what the hell that was. <laughs> it wasn't no, quite but, an AA, was it? Because she instead of doing it into what look what might you might do for a Death Valley driver, she mm. she threw the the she threw Lenani Kai the other way. I I can't explain it better than that. Yeah. That's the way I can explain it. I don't. Like, I know. I, it, it's an A. Hey, I'm thinking like an Alabama slam from a Death Valley driver position. Yeah, maybe the best way I can describe it. Either way, it looked bloody good. But it gets like gets like a two count. No, I'm not even sure against a two count to be honest. The finish, best place, the finish, and like you, 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 you've described it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you've described it quite well, Matt. It's just really not well done. It's inexpert as we've uh, used. And it's not very good, this match, but the crowd are into it. You get what you want. You get Moolah and Cindy Lauper having a little go at each other. The pop at the end is great, but it's not very good, is it? I think I've, I've heard it. I think this is the one match where even with, I think because there's been a lot of good grace given to these matches where the pops have been like, oh, but the pop like saves it. Ah, oh, lovely. This one is just kind of where the pop is just kind of wearing off. I'm a little bit, like, oh, a bit tired now a bit tired they try their bloody arts out but this is six minutes and 14 seconds that i didn't really need to be honest i thought it started messy it recovered itself for about two or three minutes in the middle and then they did the terrible end and that was a shame Hmm. because they did recover themselves there was a period after about two and a half minutes where there's some nice little moves as the, the the weird a sort of move there's the sort of weird spinning hammerlock slam i've called it which i've not really seen very much before there's a nice little backbreaker by lilani kai uh, and then the flying cross body at the end is just oh come on that's just it's, it's pathetic it's not as pathetic as what happens when fabulous moolah faces velvet mcintyre the following year's wrestlemania i should point out but it is still pathetic and it's a great shame because they basically sorted themselves out they basically um got themselves back into it after a sloppy start again though one of the big selling points of the show a massive selling point of the show this was huge you know the two mtv specials that they did in 1984 uh and i think early in 1985 the brawl to end them all and the War to settle the score featured this a lot of the build to this quite heavily, obviously because of the Cindy Lauper crossover, and it was yeah it was a major major part of the promotion for the show, and now hence you get the massive pop for uh, Wendy Richter's victory, which of course would lead eventually to the the first screw job where. Uh, Wendy Richter was uh, forced to be beaten by Fabulous Moolah, dressed up as the Spider Lady. Another thing I will say about uh, Cindy Lauper and David Wolf as well, who's Cindy Lauper's manager, they are fucking all in. <laughs> they are all into this and fair fucking play to them. Because I know it's it's a lovely platform for them, but you still you get these celebs that come in, they fucking half ass it. And I know this is like this is the first 
So they're like the first proper celebrities on this card at the moment. But they are well into it. Fair fucking play to them. And I think like Tinky says, the bookends are bad. But in the middle, you might have a little bit of Tolstoy just to keep you going. But it's only a little short story. Yeah, I mean, I also think that, you know, Cindy Lauper didn't wouldn't have needed this platform. No. Uh, she was a big star. Ultimately, she was a big star at the time, but she still did put everything into it. There was there was no mm. lack of energy and commitment to the role that she was she was playing here. So, yeah, credit to her. I was just going to ask Matt how he feels about Cindy Lauper. But, but by this point of the show, I was indifferent to anything, to be honest. But um, no, I mean, to, to be fair, you know, I, I sort of echo that. You know, she pretty much you know threw herself right into it, and she just wanted to have fun. So no, no yeah. problem with that. That's good as well, because I feel like Matt's very down on this show. But hearing him talk about uh, Cindy Lauper like that, I can see his uh, true colours shining through. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, the listener will know. That's the only reason I asked Matt, because I knew he'd say something nice about Cindy Lauper, and I can make that joke. Yeah. But do you know what she? Um, you know, I've I've seen like some you know clips of her and like Captain Lou Albano and that. I've heard her talk like a lot of nice things about him as well. So she obviously enjoyed it. So she also made the song Goonies Are Good Enough for the film Goonies, which, you know, it's mm. classic. So can't go wrong. They are then backstage with Gene Oakland, who interviews them. Richter says that this is the greatest moment in her life. And Lauper says that she made sure Fabulous Muna did not interfere again. So it's time for our main event. So the match itself, it's 13 and a half minutes. It is a tag team match. Muhammad Ali and Pat Patterson are the special guest referees. Pat Patterson's in the ring. Muhammad Ali's outside the ring. Hogan and Mr. T have got Jimmy Snooker. Piper and Orndorff have got Bob Orton Jr. in their corner. And it ends when Hogan manages to avoid Bob Orton hitting him with his cast from the top rope. And Orton getting Orndorff instead, allowing Hogan to pin Orndorff and win the match for Hogan and Mr. T. Let's start with you, Matt. Your take on this main event. Well, if nothing else, I was just grateful that the show was over. Uh, <laughs> that was probably my first thought. It really was hard for me to get through it because, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I, I didn't enjoy the show. Um, so it took me a while to, to get into it. But the, the one thing that, that still really surprises me is just how over Mr. T is. And it's still, every time I see it, I, just, I, can't, I can't fathom it. But it just, like, to me... He came across as probably one of, if not the biggest stars in the match. You know, like one of the tags that Hogan was working for was to get to Mr. T and for him to come in and, you know, and save. And I just thought it just seems so strange. It's such a weird thing for me to see. Let me let me interject there. Does that not tally, though, with what you saw from Bad Bunny at last year's WrestleMania? Um... Because some the biggest parts of that match were what Bad yeah. Bunny did. Yeah, that's probably a fair point. It, it's just hard because I, I mean, I, I didn't really, I didn't, well, didn't know much about Mr. T. Don't know much about Bad Bunny. But yeah, it, you know, match-wise, it, it was fine. It was definitely star-studded. You know, can definitely say that. I had all the elements there, all the people, you know, the, all the guys that people wanted to see. It was for the crowd in the arena. They loved it. It was exactly what that building needed and wanted, um, which is exactly what it was designed for you know it i'm sure it got all the headlines and everything afterwards so do you know what it, it ticked every box you know was it a five-star classic absolutely not but you know what again as, as we've talked about at length on the show that's not what the objective was they achieved what they set out to do wasn't for me 
to the point of the second that the pinfall went, I turned the thing off. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it was okay. It was fine. You turned it off. There's a good like nine ten minutes after the main event. Yeah. I, 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 I honestly I couldn't I couldn't do any more. That's not the professionalism we expect on this show, Matt. <laughs> uh, it's not good enough. Um, old man, what were your thoughts? I thought this was alright. I think it's a masterclass in covering deficiencies. To Matt's point about Mr T, in that what Mr T does is he does a couple of power slams, does a lovely hip toss, the second best hip toss on the show, I think. And Hogan's doing Hogan, isn't he? Like Hogan's doing his selling thing, getting beaten up, and then giving temporarily giving the rub to someone else, and then getting the pin for the end. Which don't get me wrong, is not a criticism. It has to be because he's WWF champion. Like he has to get the pinfall at the end. And also, you know, Orndorff's going to take it because he's the lesser of the stars in the match. I thought this was all right, to be honest. No more, no less. But there's enough shenanigans going on. And it's infamous for people who know. Like Muhammad Ali getting in the ring to pretty much try and kill Piper in the early stages of the match. Like Piper is running for his life. And then Pat Patterson manages to like calm him down. It's obviously planned because I knew when it happened because I've seen the clip numerous times. But Pat Patterson is kind of like trying to usher Muhammad Ali into the ring. And I don't know whether Piper says something to try and rile him up, but he's trying to go for him. And luckily he gets out of the way and then it all seems to settle down and then it kind of becomes Muhammad Ali chasing after people rather than trying to absolutely batter them. But in terms of a match, this is absolutely this is. To Matt's point, he's finally got the spirit of things. This is exactly what it needed to be. This is a big old schmoz with the involvement of Muhammad Ali, with the faces going over, with, I think, probably the most handshakes I've ever seen in any situation in life at the end of the match. Everyone's getting a handshake. I'm surprised I didn't get one because they're shaking hands with the referees, the celebrities, a couple of the fans get a handshake. But yeah, this is all in it. This is the perfect end to the show. Regardless of what the match is, it's the perfect end. I think this is good. I think it is actually good. This is my match of the night. We covered last week Bret Hart versus Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 26, okay? This is what that match should have been. Mm -hmm. It should have been every distraction you could possibly get under the sun to not expose the fact that one of the people in the match can't do anything. (laughs) And that's what happens with Bret and Vince. Bret can't sell anything. He can't take any moves or anything. can't even take a punch. So Vince gets nothing in on him. And so it's massively exposed that Bret can't do anything. Here, Mr. T isn't going to take any bumps because he's not a trained wrestler, so they don't want to injure him. They don't want to hurt him. He's a mainstream star, after all. But he is going to hand out one or two moves, but he's only in the ring for like a minute or two, here or there. And when he is, the fans are going nuts for it. They absolutely love it. Hogan otherwise controls the match on his his team's end. But in the meantime, Snooker gets involved. Bob Orton Jr. gets involved. Muhammad Ali gets involved. There's all kinds of shenanigans going on, all kinds of nonsense. But it's, it's just great, ridiculous fun. It's just real fun ridiculousness. And so I, I really appreciated it for that for that perspective. Now, technically, not a great match. There's nothing groundbreaking here. There's nothing super technically brilliant. But I just thought it was actually a really quite fun match. At no point could you get bored watching this? I just didn't. I didn't feel like it was an occasion where you could get bored with it. With it, there. Put it this way: the you're right. The match does exactly what it was supposed to do, but it also, for me, did as much as it possibly could do uh, with what they had and who was involved. And I did enjoy it quite a lot. 
And I have f- felt that before uh, about this match as well. It's not a match I was surprised to enjoy. I thought I was going to enjoy it and I did. So after the match, Roddy Piper hits Pat Patterson and then Roddy Piper and Orton walk out, leaving Paul Orndorff in the ring on his own with the baby faces. When Orndorff comes around, the baby faces try to calm him down because he's sort of surprised and trying to go after everyone. But then he walks away angrily while the faces celebrate and that sets up future storylines between Paul Orndorff turning baby face and him against Roddy Piper. Uh, then backstage, Oakland's with Hogan, Jimmy Snooker and Mr. T. Mr. T says it was very hard, but he trained very hard and Hogan says he knows what was inside Mr. T. He knew what was inside Mr. T. Not really sure what he means. Maybe he's talking about Victor again. I don't know. Snooker <laughs> then says Snooker then says it was a great pleasure to be in the corner of Hogan and Mr. T. We then get a bit of uh, Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon at ringside talking and then the end credits which as you've already commented uh, Old Man was dubbed over but originally had Axel F as the sort of music that was played here. Don't know if you either of you want I know Matt you probably didn't see any of that, that happened but I don't know if there was any comments Old Man that you had about any of the aftermatch stuff. So I liked, because obviously we, uh, well, I say obviously, I'm assuming that the listeners have gone through the back catalogue. But when we covered Saturday Night's Main Event 1, I think it is, Paul Orndorff, this is after, so after this event, he's in the tiny shorts. Yeah. And he's, yeah, and he's sat very close to uh, Roddy Piper. And that's kind of where they pop off with each other, not in a sexy way. But um, yeah, so uh, quite like that bit. Like I said, you missed the bit with all the handshakes. Enormous amount of handshakes. Mr. T promo is not to the level of the first one he cuts on the Saturday Night's Main Event. There we go. But that's fair enough. He's tired. He's at a wrestle. He's very tired. Hogan's promo is so far and away above everyone else's on this show, apart from Robert Heenan. It is incredible. And we talked about Hogan at Saturday Night's Main Event and how his promo wasn't of the level that you'd expect from him he's brilliant here he's absolutely brilliant and just getting across the point it's a very short period so i think that probably helps as well because they will have been probably on the wind up as well at this point to try and get in the uh, highlights but felt a bit bad for the people in the arena because this pro- may have been able to take place in the ring but they were all fucking off anyway they were they were halfway home by this point i think ju- judging by when they cut back to the wide shot of the arena yeah Legal traffic <laughs> absolutely that is exactly why they were all out again out there really so matt you've given your overview of the of the show you did it like front and center straight up at the start so i'm gonna kind of ask for your score old man and your overview of the show so this is a very strange thing for me because we have so much stuff that is inoffensive on this card so we watched wrestlemania 26 and i thought a fair portion of that card was quite bad watching it back and extraordinarily inconsequential as well now i don't think a lot of this is bad but because of the time that we're in an enormous amount of it is completely inconsequential as well but as tinky went on earlier and beautifully but this is a very different show to watch to a show that i'd watch now or even 30 years ago so wrestlemania even wrestlemania 4 and 5 like there's stuff going on around it this is very much a one-off show so i'm going to give this a six i think i've tempted no no i'm not i'm going to go seven because I need to watch it for what it is. And I think I'm able to as well, because I watched a lot of wrestling where it's very similar to this. 
And I enjoyed this largely. I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought as well. I because, And I think that's another thing that I, it's got going for it. I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would. Because as much as I was looking forward to watching it, I wasn't anticipating it being amazing. It's not amazing. But yeah, this is all right, this. So, Orban, you've you've rated this as highly as a WrestleMania 10, which is very yes, interesting. Yes, because, yeah, because, well, you're watching it. Yeah, I got, no, I get it. No, I but, it. And also, so you've got the tag, the two tag matches on this card, one of which is match of the night, only goes seven minutes. So the main event's decent enough. You've got the classic between Andre and Big John Stutt. <laughs> and you've got Brutus Beefcake putting in a heck of a shift. You've got Ricky Steamboat and Matt Bourne getting every second out of that performance in 39 seconds. King Kong Bundy putting on a clinic in a squash match. <laughs> and Alfred Hayes. Alfred Hayes. Look at that. Old Man has just become the biggest advocate for WrestleMania 1 of all time. And I think largely because you hate it so much, Matt. I think that's the main reason he's really uh, he's really I, got the idea. I do feel a little bit of a... I feel like I need to stick up for it. I think that's it. Because I, I feel like it's not awful. And I think this is another thing as well. You haven't watched WrestleMania 2 or WrestleMania 4. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate like this compared to wrestlemania 2 and wrestlemania 4 is a masterpiece in how you put a card together because oh, wrestlemania 2 is ghastly and wrestlemania 4 is so boring you'll fall into a trap with wrestlemania 4 because there's three ted dibiase matches or four there's four, four Randy Savage matches, and I think three Ted DiBiase. Yeah, that's right, because he gets the bye, doesn't he? Okay, ask that one. You're like, yeah, and you're like, fucking hell, this is going to be good. Ugh. Vomit <laughs> uh. And this is it. It's watched with those things in mind, I think, of what's going to come. This is a ghost shit compared to WrestleMania 2. <laughs> I, I want to defend it myself actually as well i i've given it and i gave i put this down before we spoke i've given it a five out of ten i don't think it's bad i don't think there's anything bad about it actually i think it's perfectly reasonable show it it does require a certain amount of acceptance about what you're watching and i don't know why but wrestling i think struggles for this more like again if we were doing a podcast about albums and we were reviewing i don't know an album by the rolling stones let's say that i'm not a big fan of the rolling stones but let's say we were and it was one of their better ones i think we would be more easily able to appreciate something for what it was at the time than you can with wrestling and i don't know why that is but it just is the way it is but having said that as i said i have watched a lot of stuff pre-1985 and this is about on par with what you get it's historic it's the first wrestlemania it's got that absolutely star-studded main event it's not bad there as old man said there are worse wrestlemanias than wrestlemania one two is definitely one of them four is probably is almost certainly another one i i personally think nine 11 27 only to be in that conversation mm. but this isn't bad and also i think the fact that you've given it zero matt makes me want to give it at least a little bit more to <laughs> to balance out the average because i don't think it deserves a, a one or a two average and our average as a consequence of our scores is a four which is probably where the show is in my in my view so i think we're all good yeah i i enjoyed this on this viewing and i probably enjoyed it a little bit more than i expected to i thought this was fun I remember WrestleMania 27 quite well, and there's already multiple things on there, I think, that I can remember that I enjoyed far more than this show. Oh, I I can, I I think that's an absolute stinker of a show. I think it's absolutely terrible. It it wasn't great, but hey, I'd I'd watch that one again. (laughs) I would not watch that one again. And undoubtedly at some point, 
we will cover it and that will be painful to me. But again, I'll be like, oh, fuck's sake, we got to do that. And then I'll sit down to watch it. I'll be like, you know what? This will be all right. And then I'll get to the end and I'll go, that wasn't all right. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of this week's show. It's been a bit of a, it's been a much longer show than I anticipated it being. I thought it'd be very short and it might be. Once I do the edit, who knows? We will find <laughs> out. <laughs> um, but for now, old man, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. I mean, this was, this was a decent old show. We've had a good time talking about it. There was one person missing from this card, but you won't forget him because you'll always be remembering Ken Patera. Patera! Um, <laughs> Matt, thank you for your contributions. And thank you very much for pushing yourself through the pain barrier to, to finish this show off. The show itself may have been a chore, but it was pleasure discussing it as always, Jeds. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again next week where WrestleMania season will be in the rear view mirrors. But until then, take care. When an irresistible force such as you meets an old immovable object like me, you can bet just as sure as you live Something's gotta give, something's gotta give, something's gotta give When an irrepressible smile such as yours Warms an old implacable heart such as mine Don't say no, because I insist